have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. shortage, toilet paper shortage. It's crazy. If you're worried about the future, I really don't blame you. Millions of Americans are wondering what to do. How do you hedge your bed? How do you protect yourself and your family? Well, Americans are quietly stocking up on emergency food. Shouldn't you? So ask yourself, Do you currently have enough food on hand to get you through the next month? If not, you should strongly consider getting a four-week emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's number one preparer of this company, and their mission is your survival. They've served millions of American families, and they will be honored to serve you too. So right now, you can save $50 off their four-week emergency food kit, which comes with breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and even snacks. This food gives you a minimum requirement of 2,000 calories per day, and the special packaging keeps it fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. You can't go wrong, so head on over to prepare with SouthernSense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit at this special price. You'll save $50 per kit if you act now. So if you're on my website listening to this show, go up to the top corner and you'll see my smiling face on the left-hand side where it says prepare. Click on that link to My Patriot Food. Or 
you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. Be prepared. All right, and welcome back to another exciting here, exciting Friday here, live on Southern Sense. You're here listening to, oh, God, can I mess up a wet dream here, Curtis? I can't even do the introduction <laughs> after 11 years. Wow. Oh, man. Welcome to another exciting adventure on Friday here with Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio. Oh, geez. SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show where I won't mess up that much. Uh, put the name of the show and put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least most sister radio chick, Annie, <laughs> along with my oh-so-patient co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Oh, man, Curtis. Wow. What a way to start. What a way to start. Hey, well, <laughs> today is Friday, so it's the end of the week. Um, hey, we, we're going to pull it off, though. Hi. Uh, I hope so. I actually really do hope so. But we've got so much to talk about. Uh, we are up live on Facebook and YouTube. We do have that video going. Thank thank heaven. Still having Good. some problems with the CPU on my computer, and I thought I had it all cleared up last night. I mean, I cleared up so much stuff, so this is moving a little bit faster. But we still have some glitches here and there, and hopefully that will clear up as we go along. But anyway... Uh, we got ourselves an exciting lineup. Uh, Lucretia Hughes is going to be joining us at the start of the hour. And then John O'Connor, who wrote the book Postgate about Watergate scandal and the Washington Times, on the Washington Post, get the correct newspaper out there. And uh, he'll be joining us. We'll be talking about the stuff going on with SCOTUS and other things. We also have a new guest, Trent Talbert. He is the C- CEO and founder of Brave Books. Now, these are adorable little books for kids, and it teaches kids about America and patriotism and love of country. And I'm seeing more and more parents getting involved in writing these books. So we're going to be having a lot more of these parents and authors on there and helping to promote proper education for our kids. Uh, And then we're going to have our friend from the Epic Times, Mark Tapscott. And we're going to close off the, sh- the show with another reoccurring guest, Zach Smith of the Heritage Foundation. So we got ourselves an exciting lineup here, Curtis, a really, really exciting yeah, lineup. Yeah, we do. We do. And um, education is where we have to really, really, you know, go out and get this um, back under control. We have to reclaim it because that's where it's the young minds, this um, socialist mindset, and this hate America, anti-capitalism and all that. So we got to reclaim yeah. our education. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, just seeing a couple of things here. I'm just going to try to close a couple of things off to see if that will help us uh, with some of the broadcasting and maybe speed up the, the, the speed of this. Um, just trying a couple of things here. Anyway, uh, as I said, I want to welcome everyone here that's pulling into the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. We are open up on YouTube and Facebook. That's if I open up the page on Facebook. That helps, Annie. Doy, I'm really batting a thousand here. I think it's the haircut I got yesterday. I think it uh, it shortened my brains a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, all two of them. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, as I said, we got ourselves an exciting, exciting lineup. Uh, Those that listen to us know that we start off each and every show 
with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to police officer, second degree, Fernando Arroyos. And this is from the Officer Down Memorial page, and it reads, Police Officer Fernando Arroyos was shot and killed as he took police action when three men attempted to rob him in the 1700 block of East 87th Street. He and his girlfriend had stopped to look at a house that was for sale and were crossing the street when three men got out of the vehicle and attempted to rob them at gunpoint. Officer Arroyo directed his girlfriend to safety as the men opened fire on him. He was able to return fire and shot one of the men before being mortally wounded. Officer Arroyos was taken to a local hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. Three men and one woman, all members or associates of the Florencia 13 gang, were charged federally with violating a federal racketeering statute in connection with Officer Arroyos' murder. Officer Arroyos had served with the Los Angeles Police Department for three years and was signed to the Olympic Division. He survived by his mother and stepfather. I can continue to keep on reading about this, but instead what I'm going to do is play a recording from his funeral that the officers had given in tribute. And... This is from the funeral services of Officer Arroyos. Good morning. I'm Lieutenant Rex Ingram, and I'm honored, privileged, and humbled to speak to all of you today. I was asked by Fernando's mom, Karina, to speak on behalf of the family. Officer Fernando Uriel Arroyos was a servant of God, a peacekeeper, and a man who always found the good in people. He was an honest man with drive, integrity, and humility that I was honored to witness during his time and my time as his watch commander at Olympic Division. For that, I praise his parents and grandparents and Angela. Thank you. You raised a young man who continues to inspire all of us today, a person who we all, who we all aspire to emulate and as a role model for our children to grow up to be. And Fernando's partner, Officer Alfredo Crio, a man who mirrors Fernando's humility and character. I know Karina and Angela appreciate your unwavering support and your personal sacrifice during this difficult time. And to my brothers and sisters at Olympic Division, thank you, I'm very proud of you. Fernando, I know you're here with us right now, brother. This is for you and what you meant for us and what you continue to mean for everyone. When I first met you, I knew you were something special, a bright, shining star of hope and a sense of tranquility during times of chaos. Our first encounter was when you submitted a typical crime report that was anything but typical. It contained proper grammar, the correct use of pronouns, adjectives, and you even had the right UCR code on the face sheet. I was amazed. It was one of the best written crime reports I had ever read and had read in a long time. I immediately knew that you were brilliant and you stood out among your peers, so I asked where you went to school. You sarcastically answered, I'm just an LAUSD student. I knew there was more to your story, and I jokingly said, you're a little smarter than you look. So you shifted your gaze 
And I asked you again while I chuckled. And then, and only then, you leaned forward over my desk and you said, Cal Berkeley, sir. My gut was right. I was in the presence of someone who was probably smarter than all of his peers, supervisors, and watch commanders combined. Over the course of our time together, we had many conversations where I learned that you came from humble beginnings. You grew up in Southwest Division, which is where I did my probation on this job, so I was very familiar with the violence that plagues that command. You attended public schools. You were a track star and graduated with honors from Crenshaw High School. You continued your education at UC Berkeley and earned your degree in legal studies. To say I was impressed is an understatement. I began teasing you over the last 10 months for attending a college that a large part of the student body is historically associated for its active, vocal, anti-police protests and outspoken desires for defunding the police, the, pro the profession that you dreamed of becoming. While this ideology stood for everything you did not support and conflicted with your personal beliefs of right versus wrong, you were never dissuaded or pressured by the popular belief systems. But instead, you stayed true to your beliefs, morals, principles, and aspirations to become a servant of God. A dream of yours was to earn a college degree, return home, and give back to your community by becoming a Los Angeles police officer. In 2018, you achieved that dream. Each night you came to work, you did a tremendous job. During the pandemic, during the worst times in modern law enforcement history, you did so every day to the best of your ability. You always had a smile, you had compassion, and had a work ethic that was invaluable to the people you encountered both on and off duty. Your journey took you from Crenshaw High School to UC Berkeley, where you graduated with honors, from the East Bay to the field of your dreams at Elysian Park. You had every reason in the world to be arrogant, but you weren't. In fact, while you waited patiently for an academy date, you worked two jobs to support your family. You worked the overnight shift at McDonald's in the same community where you were raised, while you collaterally assumed the duties as the maintenance manager in your apartment complex volunteering your time to make your home and your neighbor's living conditions better, all while never losing sight of your dreams of wearing our badge. You are a product of your community who represented the best of the diverse melting pot we call home in Los Angeles. You stood tall, defending life and liberty so that everyone else could live their American dream. You did this regardless of ever knowing them, meeting them, or having an affection towards them. You did this while protecting your girlfriend, the love of your life, Angela. On the, night you, on the night that you were so senselessly taken from us, Fernando, the system and the community that you worked so hard for failed you. You expressed your concerns to your family many times about how criminals were not being held accountable for their actions and how it was frustrating for the police and much more heartbreaking for the innocent victims. Your murder will not be in vain and the violence must stop. Enough is enough. You shared with me your worries over the anti-police climate the refusal to hold criminals accountable, and a woke narrative that only seemed to make things worse, not better. But despite those concerns, Fernando, you always carried on, because you are Fernando Arroyos. Fernando, it is my promise to you that I will continue to wear my badge proudly and continue to protect and serve you in your honor. As I look out in the crowd today, I see many different badges. Fernando, you brought us here together as one policing community. The badge is the most recognizable symbol of policing in America. Its simple yet majestic appearance means many things to many people. To the weak and vulnerable, it is a symbol of strength. To the frightened, it is a symbol of courage. To the lost, it is a beacon of light. 
To those isolated by poverty and disadvantage, the badge is a ray of hope. To every person who wears the badge, it sits squarely over their heart, directly across from their family name. This is important because it is a solemn oath to always act with integrity and to speak with honesty. It is a sacred promise to treat everyone both inside and outside of our policing facilities and stations with fairness, respect, dignity, and compassion. Fernando wore his badge with pride and lived up to its promise. I ask that all of you continue to do the same as I look out in front of me. This is a very difficult time to be a police officer in America, but together we will do what Fernando can no longer do here on earth. We must never lose sight of our dreams, the mission, and seek faith knowing that tomorrow will be a better place because of the selfless sacrifice each of you make every day. John 15:13 says, greater love has no man than this, that he who lays down his life for his friend. Fernando, we will all aspire to be like you and continue to do what you did by trying to make Los Angeles a better place for everyone. Rest in peace, brother. We love you. We will take it from here, mijo. Fernando, you are end to watch. All right. This show is dedicated to all the brave men and women like Fernando Arroyo, who served as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. Welcome back to 623. For many people, the pandemic has prompted a rethinking. There we go. Um, It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve in our law enforcement, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services, and to the brave men and women that serve in our military, from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. I dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
gave it to me They believe in the virtues I stand for I respect for humanity Now I'm challenged by tyrants Who envy my power But their vicious deeds Become my finest southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest that can mess up anything possible today. <laughs> Annie, the radio chickadee, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, you know, I, I really am messing up big time today. You know, I, don't I was so. having a hard Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get the video to play properly on Facebook and mm-hmm. YouTube. All of a sudden, the screen went blank. And I'm going, what the heck? Wow. I loaded up all the pictures. I put everything up here. So everything should be loading up perfectly fine. Well, guess what? I left the disc in the other computer. <laughs> so, oh, wow. That was, I got this that was a, a problem. <laughs> wow. Joy? <laughs> Do I, you think you could really mess up big time? Then you do worse than you ever wow. thought you could mess up. So I apologize to those that are over on Facebook and YouTube. I will remix it, reload it up later on. Oh, man, I swear when they cut my hair, they cut part of my brains out. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, nobody, <laughs> nobody can make the amount of mistakes that Joe Biden makes. You can come nowhere close. <laughs> that guy, he, he's screwing up everything. 
and be led around. Oh, jeez. Like I said, I just, it's just one of those days that, you know, anything you try to do, it's going to do, you're going to do it wrong. You're just going to do it wrong. So I just may as well just curl up, go back to bed. No, don't do that. We need you. Um, I'm going, why do I have a blank screen? Why is it nothing loading up? (laughs) And I look over, I'm going, oh, crap, there's no disc in the slot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. So I apologize. Otherwise, everything else is working fine. I I mean, I'm not overloading or anything. So so I know it will work smoothly if I do everything correctly. (laughs) Well, I wish this economy would work smooth. I mean, I go to the store now, and um, there's empty shelves. Kind of remind me of Venezuela and Argentina. And... um, not only that, people aren't able to get the supplies they need. I mean, this mm. I go to Subway sometimes, and there's items, food items they can't even um, make for you anymore because they don't have the ingredients. It's terrible. And gas keep going up. Well, actually, I went to the grocery store over the last two days here in South Carolina. We're really not having any major problems. Prices are a little bit more expensive, yeah. Um, but I haven't been able to say that I couldn't find anything or get anything I didn't I didn't want, you know. So I oh, I don't know lucky. what's going on. It's got to be it's got to be the food chain you're going to. But we've got East Coast suppliers, not West Coast. So I don't know what's coming into Florida. But I do believe this might be our guest coming in on the line. I hope so. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, let's welcome back to the show. She hasn't been here for several months, so that is. My bad, because after my husband passed away, everything kind of got, got all discombobulated. So I do apologize, but I want to welcome back to the show, Lucretia Hughes. Good afternoon, Lucretia. How are you today? Hi, and I am I'm so sorry about your loss. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Just trying to recover for something like that. You know, you think you're ready, and you're not always, but... Uh, but and you have your back days in the- and you have your good moments and you have your good nights. But and and I know that you probably are gonna cry in the midnight hour. But guess what? Remember the legacy that he left you and the goodness that he was to you in your heart. Oh, that I know. That's true. That I know. That I know. He's not in pain anymore. He's with the good Lord. So that that I am fully aware of. But then again, you get days like I have today where I started the video up and I couldn't figure out why I kept on getting a blank screen, a black screen. Well, I forgot to put the disc in the computer with all the pictures on it. <laughs> so you all you're have remember, those you days. remember. <laughs> oh man. You know, people can find you Wednesday evenings. You're still at seven o'clock, right? Uh, Monday through Friday, five to seven. Oh, now you've got Monday through Friday. Woo! I've you always been Monday through Friday from five to seven, and then I used to come back on and do a nine o'clock show, but I haven't did a nine o'clock show in a while. But I think I need to start back doing two shows a day. Whoa! You got more energy than I have. What are you, the Ever Ready Bunny? Woo! I'm just waiting till the truckers get into America and this convoy. Uh, starts rolling in America, I'm going to be out there, too. That's a lot to fight for. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is. We're going to be talking to um, 
Trent Talbot about that because he does these great, he'd be a great guest for your show. He does children's books, but he writes them in a way to help teach them about how the, our country was founded, about freedom, about liberty, about pride in, in nation, about fighting for your rights, which is what these truckers are doing. And, you know, it's such a pleasure to see. And they're saying, oh, it's just a minority. Did you see Justin Trudeau? I wanted to get up through the TV and be slap him. Well, when his daddy is Castro, what what do you two expect? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I don't know if you saw this post I put in. Uh, it was just late last month. You heard about this Penn State uh, professor that tells a white student you're breathing, so you may have oppressed someone today. This professor, Sam Richards. No, I haven't heard any tomfoolery like that. That's tomfoolery. Uh, yeah. Well, he teaches a, a 700-student course, uh, SOC 119, called Race and Ethnic Relations. And he pulls students up before the class to discuss white privilege. And he says, I just take the average white guy in class, whoever whoa, it is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is, it this, doesn't... is he white himself? Yep. What do you think? An apologist. Uh, yep. So Richard said, dude, this guy stands here. Stand up, bro. What's your name, bro? And then he goes after the kid. And he says, you know, just simply because you're breathing, you're white. Well, you know, the Italian in me gets my back up. You know how that goes? Uh, and, the black um, in me gets my back up. <laughs> I don't care who it is that gets mine up. Right. So, you know what? I turned around and I wrote directly to him, but I posted up on, um, uh, I posted it up on the, I believe it was Facebook, that I said, you know, I was so upset. I said to this a-hole professor, I'd shout back in his face, you're oppressing me right now, white man. Then hit him with, does God make mistakes? No, he does not. He chose each of us to be who we are. And then I, I said, just, I dare him to answer my letter. And I wrote directly to him. And you're going to love this one. And I said, um, the subject line is, white man, you oppress me. And I go, how dare you? How dare you deny God his decisions on earth? He chose each of us to be here and now, free of original sin, sin of our forefathers. What we do is our choice. You have chosen badly. While you focus on the color of one's skin, not building the content of their character. You divide a wounded society. You create that divide by your arrogance and ignorance. In a society that is involved into a more racially acceptable and peaceful one, you thrust the knife into us and carve out your own self-centered niche and push us apart. You create like a vampire. It feeds you. It gives you unjust power evil and destructive power, white man. I would be embarrassed for you, but you're not even worthy of my contempt. Woo. Here, here. Here, here. <laughs> Is that the Italian putting them in a in a place? Yeah. yeah. Okay then. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you when you look at what what the left liberals are doing, you've got these apologists saying, Oh, because you're born white you're you're guilty. But then you have Whoopi Goldberg, who said uh-huh. simply because you're white, you're all lumped together. Now, oh, wait a minute. Um, we've got Latinos, but you've got Cubanos, you've got Puerto Ricans, you've got Guatemalans, you've got Mexican. And they're not always happy when you lump them in all one bowl. And then you have 
those that are from Africa. You can't lump them in the same bowl as Caribbeans because they'd get upset with you. So you can't lump any one group of, of color into one bowl. We're all different. But why can't the world recognize that? Because that's not the narrative. The narrative is if you go ahead and divide everyone, we cannot come together and unite to actually take them down. So that if you stay distracted and, you know, keep chasing nuts, playing as squirrels, then you're going to always be bamboozled. But once you wake up, and I think a lot of people are waking up around the world. If you look at Belgium, Poland, if you, Poland, you look at Canada, Australia, there's a lot of people that are waking up to the tyranny of these elitists. They are. They are. And I mean, when the truck convoy was going on, or I think it's still going on in New Zealand, the prime minister, all of a sudden she had COVID and she goes into hiding. At the same time, Trudeau does that. Gee, how interesting, how sudden they all of a sudden get this, this herd COVID and everyone has to be shuttled away from the crowds. And now Trudeau is threatening to seize the trucks of the truckers out there. Now, yeah, that's you not going to that- happen. That is... That's not going to happen. Don't nobody care about their threat. It's not going to happen. You don't have enough tow truck companies. You don't have enough tow truck drivers. Just like when uh, they called them and said, you know what, we need for you to get out there and get those trucks. (coughs) No, we all have COVID. (laughs) Good luck with that. Well, imagine now these poor tow truck drivers being put smack in the middle. They're not law enforcement. They're not military. But you're asking them to go out on the front line, right? Now, these right. guys depend upon their living from the very people you want them to steal the equipment from. So imagine the next time the trucker comes through and he needs a tow. Do you think he's going to call your shop? I don't think so. I don't think you're going to be in business very long, do you? So Absolutely not. Guys- and with Trudeau and the rest of the prime ministers or whatever you want to call those people in each one of these providence, you know, with them saying we're going to bring the military, bring it. You don't have enough. You have over 100,000 truckers that was there last week with over 500,000 people. I'm sure they're not scared. When you have indigenous people, uh, real Indians, Rastafarians, you have Canadians, Americans from every walk of life, you know, trans, gay, Jew, Gentile, up there combining and uniting uh, as a force. No one cares about the trolls. No one cares about the liberals, the progressives, the Democrats, Republicans. We don't care anymore because they all sleeping in the same bed with each other. If they didn't say anything about the summer of love, they ain't going to say nothing about the winner of success. Now, they're also finding another way to hit them with the GoFundMe. They've got over $10 million in Canadian dollars, which is over $800 million in U.S. dollars, that GoFundMe has locked up. Now, they're claiming they want accountability. Okay, that I can understand. So all they need to do is get a good accountant in there and say, hey, listen, run this fund for us and help us disperse the funds responsibly. Hey, GoFundMe, is that okay? But if they don't release those funds soon, I would suggest let's put the word out there. If you're out there and you support the truckers and you've got a GoFund thing going with me, yank it. Yank it. Make them crash. Or they could continue doing like they've been doing since last week. They could go ahead and have every ordinary pull-up with free food, free gas, free blankets, free everything, and continue doing what they've been doing, which is let society actually chip in like they always do. 
So no one is worried about GoFundMe. You're not going to stop this. Uh, they're not, not going to stop it. You're going to have every order-day Canadian get in their kitchens and start whipping up food and giving away for free like it has been happening. So if they didn't stop it to a week and a half ago, they're not going to stop it this weekend. Now, I know there is a defense fund. I've been following it fund. from day one. I have been following this since before they started rolling out to, during when they was rolling out. And I'm going to continue to support the truckers because if you bought it in a store, you better kiss a trucker. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I was looking for this. There was an article in the Epic Times, and I'm looking for it. There is a defense fund, which is not part of GoFundMe, and I'm looking for the location. Um. But, uh, all right, if people go to the uh, Epic Times and look for the article that goes, GoFundMe makes controversial move. And somewhere in that article is a link to the defense fund, directly to the attorneys, to help them defend that. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's ways, even if we can't get up there, to go to this defense fund and help the attorneys, you know, get their fees paid to help get everything going for these guys and gals out there. I say let's do it. But there are, that, that is already out there, too, um, with lawyers signing up all around the place that is uh, agreeing to help them free of charge. So that's already done. Check. What's next? Lawyers <laughs> from all around Canada and the some that's in the northern part of America is helping these truckers on both sides of the border. So if they thought that was going to uh, curtail anything, well, wrong again. <laughs> Now, imagine what's going to happen when these truckers hit Washington, D.C. They're going to look like the brouhaha they had over January 6th, you know, insurrectionists, as they call them. But, you know, I'd say, you know, wrongheaded people. Uh, That would look like that little walk in the park. When these guys descend on Washington, D.C., what do you think crazy Uncle Joe's going to do? What what do you think is going to happen? It's January the 6th. We're getting all of those racists, those white supremacists. They are coming and trying to attack the Capitol. Say that. That, just like that false flag of January the 6th that happened. So, like I said, if they didn't say anything about the summer of love, they better not say anything about the patriot movement. They'll find no, a they way to blame the- Trump for it. They'll put <laughs> Trump in the mix. <laughs> That's true. They will find a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They will find a way to do that. I don't take my cues cues from politicians. I don't take my cues from elitists. I don't take my cues only from what God tells me to do, what my internal signal is telling me to do, and then my wives and my wives or my nine grandchildren to have a legacy and a nation that is still sovereign under the Constitution and that we are still grounded in the Constitution. So these whiny butts, I could kill less. Because I know what these people are fighting for. I know they're tired of mandates. I know they're tired of getting a jab. I know they're tired of the lies. I know they're tired of their freedoms getting snatched. I know they're tired of being set at home. So it's time to fight back or before we lose it all. This is not the movie 2012. This is 2022. That it is. That it is. And they have no idea what to do with all these people sitting in Ottawa. And they're saying, we're ready to camp out. If it takes us all into the summer or into next year, we're staying. And they're going to have the largest homeless camp ever seen because we're demanding our government come forward and speak to us. Sit down and negotiate with us. This is the way it should be done peacefully. 
and they're saying and they put out on on the all their communications you know no violence stay peaceful and when they showed the pictures of violence oh yeah there's people picking up garbage in the street there are people shoveling the snow off the sidewalks that's the violence but then again there were people trying to infiltrate it and i don't know if you saw this one one guy with the confederate flag tried walking through the crowd chanting and oh boy they came down on him in droves and chased him away now someone claimed a statue was defaced and they ended up proving it wasn't their group it was people trying to infiltrate so i think that's exactly what happened that's the statue that's the statue i'm talking about when you get a rastafarian with his hat on to sit there and guard that statue that tells you it wasn't a patriot if you got a rastafarian that is standing there and sitting and protecting a statue it's not about racism when you have a Rastafarian that is literally standing up for everyday ordinary people and that are truckers, this tells me this is more about people getting their rights and life back. Exactly. Exactly. And you, you look at some of these people there, and it's like people that you never think would get together, but we are all human. And once you realize that we're all human, we have a common bond, and that's our willingness to, for, to fight for freedom to fight for the rights. And as we fight for ourselves, we fight for everyone else around us. We're not just fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for everyone. And you can feel this in the air coming from there. And this is, this is what our American Revolution was about. And I, it's, it's step two. This is step two. Canada's igniting it, and we better keep that fire going. We have to. We have to. We definitely well, I'm have gonna, to. I'm going to keep the fire burning. I'm, I am. I have. We have no choice. When you have little eyes looking up at you, that is your. That you're supposed to be the guardian of their galaxy. You're supposed to mold them in the way to go. You're supposed to point them in the right direction. And um, that is what we're supposed to do. So once you get out of, when you start having babies, and you have your first one, your world changes. When you have grandchildren, that is what you was made for. Now, I know children are usually remote controls, and, you know, they, they do what we have, but this is when you have grandchildren. You spoil them, and you still show them they, the way they're supposed to go. So I'm going to take my grandmother position to heart because they look at me first, not Barack Hussein Obama, not Joe Biden or Donald Trump. They look at their grandmothers, just like all the Democrats in my family. When they called me and said, you know what, we don't look at the Republican Party. We look and see how you act. We don't. We are looking at exactly what you say, and you are proving everything that you have said about the Democrats as being true. So I would rather my integrity, my character, and what I say speak for itself. So that's why I say always do your own research before you come trying to pop off at me. Well, that's true. Patricia, that is very, very true. Go ahead, Curtis. If you have 15 minutes to um, sit down and talk president, Miss Harris, um, what would you convey to her? What I would you convey to that her? Wall. Me, personally, if you don't have anything yeah. nice to say, then you don't say anything at all. So I'm not going to sit across the table from a woman that sat there and put more people, incarcerated more people, and left them there. I'm not going to sit across the table from a woman that suppressed DNA. I'm not going to sit there and sit across from a woman that got to her knees to get to the position that she at. Now, I didn't ask Swick Willie Brown, I didn't ask anyone to tell us the evilness that she is, but I won't sit across a table from a person that I know don't have my goodness in her heart or anyone else's in she 
she only about herself. Why would you sit across the table from someone like that? So the answer is I wouldn't. I wouldn't spend 15 minutes with Kamala Harris. I would spend 15 minutes with Condoleezza Rice first. Because, you know, nice. I start singing Chris, and I would be like, hood rat, hood rat, hoot your mama, and you don't want me to start rapping and singing to Kamala. <laughs> well, apparently she can't keep staff on anyway, so you, you're and not, you're not, gonna take not my going to be in her company. You're, she's not, number one, I'm going to ask her, uh, ma'am, where you black at? Where do you <laughs> sit here and uh, support African-Americans or ever supported African-Americans? I need to know, because you went to an all-historical black college, there's some white ones up in there, too. Did you learn anything besides smoking weed with Tupac and Biggie when they didn't even have anything out there, Snoop Dogg and Tupac? So the lies that she has perpetrated, I won't sit across the table from her. She's not a person of color. She's the first Indian that was ever elected to, to the Senate. So this is not Elizabeth Warren, and I'm tired of grown folks trying to lie to another. <laughs> well, I'm not even going to ask about Maxine Water. Uh, Maxine what? Water. I would snatch her wig off. I would snatch her wig off. I would snatch her wig off. That right there is inciting violence on people like me to surround us, harass us, and attack us. But someone that lives in a mansion but her own district looked like the ghetto, I would snatch her wig off. Yeah, we can't build the southern wall, but she's got a wall around her, her palace. Uh, that's that's really good. Um, they're building a wall around the White House, if you notice that one, but you can't build a wall on the southern border. We can't protect the southern border. $800,000 to stuff envelopes, but she won't do anything for the homeless people that are encamped around her district. I have a problem with these hypocrites. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And now they won't allow the truckers to cross the northern border, but we still leave the southern border open. And Lord knows what's coming through on the southern border. We've got military aged men being bussed inside the interior of the United States. We don't know if they're from the Middle East, they're from South America. Where are they from? Who are these people? Are you they're not getting a- bus? They're not getting bus. They're literally being, oh, they're put being on jumbo jet. Yes, yeah, they're putting yeah. on jumbo jets in the middle of the night and we're paying for them. You won't do anything for the homeless. You won't do anything for the elderly or the, the, the least of us in America. But you're telling me the DOJ is going to try to get in some kind of agreement to give these people $450,000 apiece when you won't give us number crumbs? I have a problem with that, too. Plus, they get, they get free medical care, free housing, mm-hmm. free clothing, mm-hmm. uh, welfare, uh, put on uh, Social Security if they need it, whatever. I mean, the kids are being paid for. They're being paid for. And, oh, yeah, they get the reparations, too. You know, excuse me? And what about our military veterans? What about our homeless? But no, 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 no. Americans don't matter. We have to take care of everyone else in the world first. Now, we heard this four years ago. What about the black people? I mean, seriously. It seemed like every four years we're going to have a discussion on reparations. But you just gave illegal aliens over uh, how many billions of dollars of a settlement. You've been saying you're going to give reparations to black people for how many, how many times, how many years. Stop studying it since you waste money everywhere else and cut a check real quickly. Then go ahead and help everybody else's community. 
But talking about you're going to study reparations when you've been saying this for decades now, I'm tired of the lip service. So if you're not willing to do anything for not even the, the black hood, the black community, the white community, Hispanic community, you're doing nothing but lip service. The only people that have rights and freedoms is the illegals because that is a new voting block. Now, I, I so just until, they close, until they close the southern border, I am not taking no jab. I'm not going to sit here and play their games. I'm not worried about anyone else other than what I have to do because, like you said, since last year of Biden, over 2 million people have flooded across the southern border, but you won't shut it. That's how I know this uh, scamdemic ain't nothing but a scamdemic because if it was that contagious and that serious, you would have shut that southern border down a long time ago because you're right. We're finding terrorists coming over across the southern border. We are having people that have never, ever been tested, and now you are telling us that TSA, the only thing they need to get on an app is a bench warrant. Now let my brother-in-law, let my husband, let my dad have a bench warrant and see how fast that the police would be coming and busting down our door, but you're allowing them to get on planes that has never been jabbed, never been tested. You're giving them free money, free everything, and you're using the identity for a bench warrant. That I heard when you have a bench warrant, you should be arrested right on the spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, but, but you can't you can't get an ID to vote, but you can use a bench warrant to get on a plane. But then again, if you and I were to get on that very same plane and by the way, they're not wearing masks. If you notice no. that when they get on the planes, they're not wearing masks. But if a guy wears a let's go uh, Brandon face mask, he's asked to take it off and put a regular mask on. Oh, because someone's offended. The, the, the hypocrisy is just amazing. Oh, Black Lives Matter mask, it doesn't matter. But if you wear, you know, let's go Brandon, you're, you're, the, you're the racist. You're the bigot. So I prefer to just wear it on my shirt. So when I'm walking through the airport, I have We The People Told You So on, and then I have Let's Go Brandon. So, yeah, I keep walking, <laughs> but I have that aura around me that says, try me if you want to. I ain't even playing with you. Just mean mug and keep walking. Did I talk to you? Then eventually don't approach me. I'm that serious. I am that serious. And if somebody say, hey, here's a mask, especially if I'm in Georgia anywhere where it's not mandated, the mama and the crazy look that I give them, they, they step back real quick. They flinch to get away from me. So I would rather have that aura around me than have some Karen or some Sally Sunrise come up in my face. We still have to meet in Savannah. We still have to meet for cocktails in Savannah. <laughs> still, I tell you, we've got to do that. <laughs> and then walk down Riverwalk and see who's going to mess with us. <laughs> I like to walk down Riverwalk when it, this this is an example I want to give you. Now they have I had my uh, President Trump. We got your 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 back. That's what I used to shirt I used to wear. So my husband have a shirt too. He's white. So all of a sudden, it was a group of millennials, you know, a black woman, white man, walking side by side. And they just were grinning and smiling. Then they looked down at our shirts. And then the look on their face turned upside down, <laughs> and I just smiled even bigger. <laughs> One of them, you could tell the little young girl wanted to walk up and say something. But after she looked at me real closely, she heard her drop her head, turn her back, and walked the other way. Try me if you want to. Today <laughs> is not today. <laughs> Oh, man, I, I would love to be on that walk with you, Jeez, hopping from bar to bar. And Savannah's one place you can carry, open carry from bar to bar. I hope they're still doing that. It's been a while. 
Well, we'll be in Savannah next week. Actually, I will be in Savannah next uh, Saturday and Sunday. I have to give speeches both days because I'm helping a lot of candidates that are running um, in the state of Georgia. And then this Saturday, I will be in, well, tomorrow. I'm leaving. We're driving all the way through the night. I have to be in St. Petersburg, Florida, to give a speech at the Frederick Douglass uh, Breakfast. And if you know anything about Frederick Douglass uh, uh, organization, they don't have many females speaking at any of these places. So to be a, to be known as the keynote speaker at, in, uh, at the Frederick Douglass is a blessing to me. That's that's St. Petersburg, right? Yes. Florida, yeah. Yeah. Lucretia. Oh, yeah, Zoe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are are your yes. officials in Georgia doing anything so we can have a, a more honest and fair outcome in the midterms as far as voting? I laugh. I laugh. Um, are they doing anything? Mm, no, we got the Dominion voting machine. We're going to keep the Dominion voting machine. Uh, do we know? I That's mean, bad. he extended the voting. He extended uh, the absentee ballot. You know, he did that. Uh, is it going to count? I have no idea. I guess we have to wait and see. But I tell anybody, if they're so upset with the way stuff turned out, you need to start showing up at your mass meetings. You need to start showing up at the convention. You need to become a, a member of the Republican Party. So if they want to see change, they got to be that change. And it is your civil duty. If you want to run for office and you can qualify, then you need to get out there and run for office. Well, a matter of fact, this year the GOP is doing their reorganization nationwide. So every state is going to have their convention. So if people want to get involved, and that's where you start with your grassroots, with your local county, parish, or whatever you want to call it, whatever the GOP you have there, get involved there. And then it's possible you can end up with becoming a convention uh, delegate, which I have been a convention delegate in my county for the last four going on five conventions. So, yeah, you've got to get involved at the local level because what you do here goes upstairs, right? Exactly, and I have been a delegate for the state of Georgia for the last uh, four uh, cycles. So I take take what I do very seriously. All the groups that I'm in, no matter if it's the Outreach Committee for the NRA, Girl in a Gun, D.C. Project, all of this stuff, the, the GRA, the LRA, the Republican Party, the Tea Party, I take what I do very seriously. Oh, absolutely. And what I do with my Tea Party here, even though I am you know, an executive committee member for our county GOP, I try to meld all the groups, whether it's the, the men's Republican or the women's Republican or Moms for Liberty. I try to get the, all of us to work together because we all have a common cause. There's not all issues we completely agree on, but on the ones we agree, do agree on, let's team together because in mass, when we go up to the state and then from the state to the federal, there's a lot of power because the more people you got behind you, the more they are going to listen. So I find networking and cross-working with all these groups, changing, exchanging, and having each one come to our meetings and we go to theirs, that's important. It has to, and we got to stay out there too, especially the grassroots. If they knew the power that is in the grassroots hands, then a lot of these, a lot of us would stand up even bolder. So I hope what the what the veterans and the truckers are getting ready to do in the United States 
is going to embolden a lot of people that didn't think they had a backbone, they didn't have a voice, and they thought it didn't matter to actually get up off the couch, turn off the television, and actually stand up for your rights and your civil liberties. Yeah, I want to see that convoy go through every single state, hit all 50 states before you hit Washington, D.C. And you know what? I want to see people... Yeah, the Zoom call is tonight. I mean, tomorrow I'm part, going to be part of that um, starting Zoom call. So the information that I get, this is uh, um, this is going to be a Zoom call of all the people that are trying to get this together. And um, they offered me to be on this Zoom call tomorrow. So any information, I'm just glad that they even included me. But any information that I get for the convoy of, to the U.S. or uh, convoy to D.C., I will pass it along to CS and also you so you can let people know. Oh, fantastic, Lucretia. because if we get out there on I-95 or over on 17 coming here, down here, if they come down those two routes, we'll be there. We will be lining those yeah. routes. I will rally the people. Yeah. We'll get the Republican Party. We will get the men's Republicans. We will get every single group around here, and we will put the word out. Well, let's right. do it because that's all it takes. You stay on 80, um, 17, Interstate 17 and 95, and then I will really focus on 85 and, you know, getting people on the overpasses or if they want to join the convoy to which exit they need to jump on to um, get into the convoy. I think that's a great idea. If we can yeah. just do our little part, then just to tell people where to go, then I think we are doing our part too. Yeah. Excellent. Lucretia. Excellent. Yes. Yes. Are you still involved with the NRA, and yes. what are they up to? Yes, the NRA, the meeting will, the um, national meeting will be in Texas again this year. They canceled it last year. I was just up there three weeks ago for the winter meeting. So I'm still part of the um, outreach committee, and then I'm still part of the NRA. So, yes, that's what they're planning on doing. I was up there three weeks ago. Nice, nice. Well, Curtis, uh, we, you got your guest to call in about a minute here. So uh, we're going to be uh, tying up with uh, Lucretia. So, you know, besides, you know, having those two speeches, anything else you got going on, you know, special coming up besides those two speeches? Yes. And uh, March, on March the 18th and the 19th in Rowan Oak, Virginia, is um, United We Stand event. That is uh, Tom Holman. You're going to have John Delaney. You got Candace Taylor, myself, and about 15 other um, national speaker and radio hosts are going to be in Roanoke, Virginia for a two-day convention. So it's going to be at the auditorium up there. There's 5,000 tickets. So I just say that's the next big thing for me. And then um, in April, it's going to be five speeches, five days, all over the state of Florida. Jeez. Where do you get the energy? Holy cow. Now you're making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If, if, as long as you say, just like CS, uh, CS did, hey, Krisha, we need you. I got you. I didn't nope. ask no questions. <laughs> well, I sent you a message. I even called your, your agent and said, you know, get her over here. We need her right now. <laughs> so, what agent? My husband? Because that's a headache. What, what, what no, agent? No. <laughs> I don't have an agent. Oh, no, you don't go through Sutton? <laughs> oh, you know Sutton? Yes. I, did, I yes. didn't know. I didn't. Hey, oh, for sir, years. <laughs> <laughs> for years. For years. Well, you know what? You have to have CSA uh, give me your phone number so that way I can call you directly so we don't have to go, you know, through the back door. You know? Yeah, I'll Matter do of fact, that. 
Yeah, because Sutton is only going to get me about eight interviews. So just for her to do that with the eight interviews, I still have to keep going on. So I just appreciate uh, her just stepping in and say, hey, I can get you the eight interviews. Well, thank you. So I hope this don't include as one of the eight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she never answered me. So I tell her you didn't answer her. So, yeah, I did it on my own. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Did it it my way. Well, you know, we'll be talking, girlfriend, and I, I'm hoping to see you. I don't know if I can make it next weekend because I'm still recovering from my knee surgery, so hopefully I'm soon. Well, you take care of yourself. You're in my prayers. You're in my heart and in my thoughts, and I'm here whenever y'all need me back on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate well, it, and you. thank you. And we will meet again soon. Take care. All right, y'all, too. Have a great one. All right. All right. Stay in touch. Lucretia Hughes. Oh man, what what a blessing to to our cause and to our movement. But let's bring on returning guest. I think this is like the third or fourth time. Always a blast to have him. He is the author of a book that is the title is so long I get winded. It's called How the Washington Post oh, Postgate: How the Washington Post Betrayed the Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocate Journalism. And I did it in one breath. Welcome back onto the show, John O'Connor. Good afternoon, John. How are you doing? Hey, you did a great job. Um, I probably shouldn't have had that as a subtitle, but just one of those things on the cover of the book that isn't necessarily the title. But somehow we put a colon in there and became part of the title, so I apologize to have to make you read all that. <laughs> Well, you know, this, this this little Italian sometimes gets a little tongue-tied, so I'm lucky if I even say my own name straight sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know the feeling. Oh, man. Um, we have right now, Justice Breyer is retiring, and crazy, creepy Uncle Joe Biden um, made a statement when he was uh, campaigning that he will appoint a female black, as if the only thing that can qualify you is the color of your skin and your gender, but not your academic qualifications or your proven record. You know, in other words, he's telling you you're, you're so beneath and so low that you can't qualify on who you are, but what you are. Is that not racist? Well, it's the exact opposite of an affirmative action. Affirmative action is supposed to expand the labor pool. When you have a job opening, you just don't look for white males. You look for everybody, and that's the way it should be, and it's really meritocracy in action. Let's have everybody compete for these prizes we have, whether they're jobs or whatever they are. In this case, it's a special job, a job of honor. It's very important. So this is terribly against uh, affirmative action. It's against uh, colorblind uh, anti-racist uh, concepts that should be uh, ruling our country, uh, but it's not. It's just the opposite. And now think about how insulting it is to the uh, to the nominee. You could have someone like Katani Brown Jackson, who's got a very distinguished uh, record, uh, and uh, you know a, a little bit lacking in experience, but a brilliant woman. Okay, there's no doubt about it. She went to Harvard. She, I think, she clerked for Breyer. Then now she's on the D.C. Court of Appeals. Probably you'd like her to be on the D.C. Court of Appeals a few years longer. But she'll get selected, I think. And then everybody's going to say, oh, this is an affirmative action hire. What good is that to her to say, oh, gee, she beat out five other black women for the job who, who you know, were nominally qualified? Why 
is this a good thing for our country? And so what it is is it's an insult to her. It's an insult really to Judge Breyer in a sense. It's an insult to the country. And why is, and, and why is Biden doing this? To try to get some political points out of something that shouldn't be political. He's trying to make a big deal of this. Oh, look at President Biden. So rather than saying, oh, this is a job that was won by Judge Jackson. Isn't it wonderful she won it? It's like, oh, look at me. I'm Joe Biden. I'm bestowing this. It's, it's me that's giving this to her. I'm giving her a special benefit. I'm the great white father. I think it's very racist, condescending. It's the worst of all things. Oh, let me, the great white father, do this. I don't think it's good, good optics. And I think I would think that there would be black citizens throughout the country that would be offended by this. I, I, I think it would be great if you had a fair and free uh, selection process and, and, and a black woman won it, then that would be a cause for celebration. Oh, great. Isn't that great? We're at the stage in our country where we have this rising class of tremendously brilliant black women jurors. I think that's a good thing. But the way he's doing it just takes away the merit and the excitement of things. I, I'm very disappointed. Well, not only that, it will always be a footnote in history, always. And no matter what, for the rest of her life, that stigma will ever, forever follow her. So whenever she writes a decision, everyone's going to look at it and say, well, you know what, you're just an Obama hire. You know, who really cares what you write? That's right. That's exactly the way people are going to look at it. Does anybody do that to Breyer? No. I mean, I think people forget even who appointed him. I think it was Clinton. But um, but but Breyer would write these brilliant opinions, and people say, oh, gee, what a brilliant jurist. Now you're right. Now they're going to look at an opinion of the appointee, uh, uh, the nominee, much differently. And this doesn't help us. And it also doesn't help the citizenry when, let's say, there's a tight decision in the Supreme Court and there's a lot of people on one side of the ledger or the other, and so half the country gets disappointed by a ruling. Is that a good thing when uh, the nominee would be in the majority and you say, oh, my God, I got screwed by somebody that isn't really even qualified? It's not a good sense for all of us citizens. This isn't just about nine people. At least, you know, when somebody's selected for a job in some obscure government branch, nobody understands their life is affected by that person. But, but our lives are all going to be affected by these Supreme Court decisions. And yet, and here you have Biden saying, well, you know, I'm doing this because uh, it's, uh, I'm only going to select a black woman. So it, it, it hurts us all. It hurts us all continually. And there will be, when there is doubt cast on a Supreme Court opinion, now that, that isn't good. We're supposed to have confidence in these opinions. Well, you know, you think about it. If she if she sides with the Democratic, you know, majority, should it end up being a majority? It's like, well, does she just doing this because you know she was appointed by Biden's herd mentality? Whichever win they go is the same way she's going to go, or is she going to be an independent thinker? And no one will ever expect her to be an independent thinker. So when she does make a decision or you know vote in one direction, everyone's going to be no matter what she does. They're not going to like what she does, no matter what she does. They won't like it. Well, that's right. She's going to be – it will look like she's just singing off the song sheet that she was given, um, and especially if she's not charting her own opinion. And there's nothing wrong with joining with a group of like-minded people. But now if she does that, if she joins, she's going to say, oh, well, yeah, sure. She's just an, he's just an easy vote. She just goes along with whatever they do. 
that's not good. Uh, that that doesn't give us the sense that she was thinking uh, and uh, came out to a thoughtful conclusion. But no, you're right, uh, Annie. That just it looks like oh, I'm just going along because this is what I'm told to do. Uh, the whole thing is not good. It is just not good, and I can't. It is hard <laughs> for Biden to screw this thing up. It really is, and uh, he couldn't wait to say he was he was nominating a black woman just because he's so desperate for any kind of affirmation, and uh, you know. Uh, but but if he would have played it out and done it the right way, uh, he could have looked good, and, and the judge could have looked good. Yeah, you know, you, you bring in people from across the spectrum. You sit down, you interview them one by one, one by one. Even if you're doing it for show which, you know, knowing this administration, that's the only way they know how to do it is by show, without any actual work being put into it. Not like we had with President Trump, where you actually thoughtfully went through everyone. But no, it's, it's, it's going to be, I just want this one homogenous group and no one else. Matter of fact, they had the one Asian woman that was being interviewed before uh, the Senate, and she couldn't even answer about you know, is racial discrimination against the law? She couldn't even answer that question. So who is this that they're putting up before us? Well, that's the question. That's the question. And uh, and the whole process here is not one uh, designed to give uh, the citizens assurance that uh, the country is being fairly run. And that's what we all need. I mean, that's what this election controversy was about. That's what so many things are about is we want to be sure that fairness is ruling here, that we have a country of principles and uh, we we do things the right way so that uh, uh, the people's will will get done in accordance with the way our government's set up. But we we don't have that assurance anymore. No, we don't. You know, I I would add that if we reverse the situation, and we told the citizens of the United States, we're only looking for a white judge, not anybody oh. else, no blacks. Or, I mean, it would be an uproar in this nation. And oh, that's the way I look at it. It would be an uproar. What do you mean you're not going to even look at a black or a, a Hispanic, only whites? So I well, think we need to right. look at this both ways. Well, that's right, and that's why I think the NFL was right to say, look, you know, this doesn't look good. We have a whole bunch of white coaches. Where, where are the black ones? Are, are, are you looking at black coaches? And I think it makes everybody better off, and, of course, then we ended up with some great black coaches, uh, you know, and so uh, that system makes sense when it looks like you're looking at everybody. And it, it, it's just a stain on our country. The biggest stain, of course, is slavery. But now we've got this is now we're kind of going to a reverse. The whole idea isn't that only white males vote, only white males get on juries, only white males do this, that, and the other. Now our country has gone through a lot of progress in the last 50 years, a lot of progress, and then maybe also in the last 150 uh, since the Civil War. And now look what we're doing. I, I, I think this is a step backwards. We're going too far and, uh, in this thing. And I think you're absolutely right. The, the, the idea is very astute. That what if we started saying only white males get this job? I mean, it would be a firestorm, and rightly so. And, you know, there should be lawsuits filed the next day if that were to happen. It won't happen here. But, you know, uh, so 
uh, it's just, it, you know, what it shows me is the bankruptcy of the progressive project, which is you've just got to keep going and going and going. There's no stop to progressivism to the point where progressivism becomes regressive. And we're all hurt. The majority is hurt, not helped by so-called improvements in the process. In the exact opposite. Yeah, you're right. It is. We're, we're reverting. And it's becoming reverse discrimination. So now we're supposed to feel guilty for something that our forefathers had done. Wait a minute. We didn't do it. Now, I mean, what happened generations ago, it happened generations ago. What we do here today is what should matter. Yeah, learn from the past. Don't forget the past. But don't lay that burden on me when I had absolutely no response before it. If I'm here to work for, to make the world better, then don't, don't stand in my way. Let me help you. Don't hinder me. But this is, this is not the attitude of the left. It's like you have to be led along by the, the tip of your nose. You're too stupid to think on your own, so I've got to think for you. So, therefore, this is how it's going to be because we're not going to let you think any other way. So you think my way or the highway. Well, that's right. And, and as long as we start doing this kind of stuff, we're, we're getting away from the, uh, judging individual people for individual actions. Listen, I have four sets of great-grandparents that all came from Ireland, and they tripped over starving people on their way to the ships to get over here. And, I, you know, I, I mean, I think the English people did a lot. Some of the English lords did a lot to starve those people in Ireland. But is that something that hurts me today? No, I'm happy I'm over here. I'm happy my grandparents came. And am I blaming my neighbor who happens to be a descendant of somebody from England? No, what, they didn't do anything to me. And I'm not hurt today. I'm not starving, and they didn't starve me. So do I get reparations from my neighbor for that? No. And so I, I, think, uh, I think we do have an awful lot of work to do to try to, you know, to try to help out, make sure everybody gets an education in this country and so forth. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't be pointing fingers at people and, you know, blaming the present uh, citizens in good faith, acting in good faith uh, for something that happened uh, 150 years ago. Well, you know, I, you know I had this sort of, I, okay. I was, let, me, let me just finish this one. Um, I was taught a very important lesson for my grandfather, who was an immigrant from Italy, and he had his own livery business, a taxi business, and he brought me into the local barbershop, and he pointed up to a sign on the wall, and he goes, this is what I faced when I came here. And I looked at the sign and said, no WAP need apply. And then he looked at me and he goes, the world's not the same. That sign is just a, just, just a decoration. It doesn't mean anything more today. Always keep that in mind. That was then. This is now. But that's not how the left thinks. And that was such a valuable no. lesson. Such a valuable lesson. You know, we're all different today. So don't lay the blame of what someone did a generation ago on my shoulders or anyone else's. And if he's willing to well, forgive, having faced that, why can't everyone else forgive? Well, I would add that the left has been, they, they've been masters at um, manipulating the minority community into um, seeing everything through the prism of race and class envy. And it's a, it's a tool for them. It's a means by which to keep these people in their camp and, and under their control. And it has worked. I've seen it before because there are some friends and relatives of mine. I mean, 
They hate white people. They hate Republicans. They hate conservatives. You have to think, where's all this coming from? But if you, you listen to what they listen to all day long, you got the um, alpha, alphabet, you know, news channels, and you got MSNBC and CNN, and then you hear all this stuff from shows like The View and all that stuff. There's no wonder they think this way constantly. It's like COVID. <laughs> I was up in Philly, and that's all they listen to all day long, COVID, COVID, COVID. Now, just switch <laughs> the terms to hate whites and hate Republicans, and there's no <laughs> difference the intensity. So I think that they use that as a tool, as I said. Well, yeah, John, I mean, I uh, agree with that. Yeah. Well, does it, just the events of the last two weeks, does not, that not give the true meaning to the initials of CNN, the criminal news network, <laughs> after everything going on? Or Clinton. Oh, you can't, you can't beat what they're doing, you know. I mean, it's so <laughs> hypocritical, you know. And, of course, they're the first ones, all the CNN people are the first ones to jump on anything that any Republican does that looks like it's sexist. And then look look at that stuff over there. You know, it's it's just wild. It's a menagerie. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Well, listen, uh, right. with this with- – with this SCOTUS pick, now, do the Republicans have a chance to block? Because in the past, the adv- advising consent required a three-quarter majority. But that's not true today. Didn't someone make a deal and really throw a monkey wrench into the whole thing? Well, I think the, the, there are a couple deals that have been changed from the past. And uh, but but one of them is, of course, that you you only need a majority. And I want to say it was the Democrats prior to Trump coming in that that had gotten rid of the filibuster for nominees. And and thank God they did, because I think Gorsuch, Kavanaugh and uh, probably even Coney Barrett would not have been uh, uh, confirmed. But uh, but what I would say is. And now they have to, with the 50-50, they have a deal where there's an equal representation on the Judiciary Committee, which votes the nominee to the floor. So technically speaking, the four, uh, I think it's four, the four Republicans could block this thing even getting to the floor. Now, if I were their strategist, and nobody asked me, and I don't see them exactly calling me or asking me my advice, but I would say, and I think they're smart enough to know this, you're not going to get anything done by fighting this. Let the nominee come to the floor, question her about uh, in, in the right searching fashion about her credentials. And I would be surprised if there was a big fight. Um, I think there might be some criticism of the nominee not having enough experience or as much experience as other nominees have had in the past. But, you know, I think it's it's Biden's selection, and I think there will be a qualified person put up. And actually, in history, I think she's going to be a couple of the candidates are more qualified than some of the people that have been put up in the past, both by Republicans and Democrats. The great Earl Warren in Cal- from California was not really a legal scholar at all, uh, and he was he put was put on. There are other people that are put on that were. You know, okay, but not great. So I think we're going to get a, a decent nominee here, uh, and that's the way the process should work. Just let everybody see what Biden has nominated. If there are chinks in the armor, 
those will be brought out if there aren't any chinks in the armor. I, I, I would, and I'd be surprised if there were. Uh, uh, I think she'll get confirmed, and I think that's the way it should be. I think Biden is hoping and praying that there will be people objecting to his nominee. I will guarantee that he's hoping that so that he maybe he'll pick up a, a couple points on his sagging poll numbers. That's really what he's looking for. He's looking for a fight. I don't think the Republicans are going to give it to him. Well, we know it's going to come out of the committee because my own senator, Lamesy Gramnesty, was saying on Sunday CBS that he was going to advance her. He saw no reason to oppose her. So my rhino senator is hopefully will have some challenges come 2026. But holy moly, I mean, when he's up for election, he sounds like a perfect conservative. But once he's in, oh, man. And voters fall for yeah. every single time. Yeah, I've 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 had lunch and dinner with Lindsey uh, and uh, last in the last couple of years. Uh, and yeah, he he will say. I mean, he'll be very you know, among Republican donors. He'll say he'll say, look, you know, I'm not always everything you want, but when it comes down to it, uh, you know, I'm really helping everybody out here, as in the Kavanaugh case and so forth and so on. So um, you know, that's his philosophy. Um, and I think if you don't have a whole group of Lindsey Grahams, I think uh, that what he does is fine. I mean, as an individual, he ends up, you know, showing the colors at the right time. And he's, you know, I talked to him a little bit about climate change. And I said, Lindsey, don't get that, get on that train. Come on. You know, I know he wants to get all things <laughs> done. Yeah. But he's kind of a fun guy in his own way. You know, he's got a, some wit about him and he's a smart guy. Uh, so, you know, as long as we don't have 50 Lindsay's, it's great. One Lindsay is kind of colorful and kind of fun. And well, I know your frustrations with him, Annie, uh, and uh, well, I understand that. Uh, I talk to a lot of people who have frustrations with him. Well, I literally, I literally stood nose to nose and toe to toe with him downtown here when he was having one of his fundraisers. And he really didn't realize who I was until one of the aides realized who I was. So I've been persona non grata. But when I went after him, I went after, I went after him on three issues. And at that time, we had 16 people going into a runoff for the uh, uh, con- congressional seat that uh, Mark Sanford won the first time. And there was a possibility of a runoff. And they set the runoff date two weeks after the primary. Now, federal law says if you're doing a federal election, which the Senate seat is, you need 45 days to get those ballots out to the military and those that are living overseas. They were doing this within two weeks. And his answer was, well, they get a special ballot and they can pick from three names. Well, how do you know those three names are going to be on the ballot to begin with? So you're giving them a ballot that may be completely worthless. That didn't go over too well, but I challenged him on the World Bank, <laughs> and he backed off on the World Bank, and I challenged him on another issue, and he backed off on two out of the three. But when they realized I was going, I, and he's short, so you know how tall I am. So if I'm standing there literally toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose, <laughs> you know how tall I am. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, Lindsay is not going to play uh, tackle for the Packers anytime soon. Uh, you know, uh, I find him, one of the things he said uh, to me once was, I get along real well with President Trump. I like President Trump, and President Trump likes President Trump, so we get along. <laughs> so he says funny That's stuff lovely. like that all the time. I get 
I get kind of a kick out of him, uh, you know, but you're right. I mean, he doesn't face, and let's face it, he doesn't face intelligent voters that much, you know, and so, you know, he takes a lot of positions that will try to get him reelected, and then he thinks he's, he, he thinks in his own mind he's really steering things the right way, and you know, uh, you can have different ways of viewing that, uh, you know, the Senate's uh, charges, so to speak. And and so uh, let's put it this way. What I'll say, Annie, is this. I think it's good if the Republican Party has a big tent and you have some Lindsay's around, you know, and you have some more uh, uh, stiff back guys. And I think it's fine. You know, but I understand your frustration. I understand it perfectly because I talk to a lot of people who have frustrations with Lindsay every day. Well, we got a caller in the line. She is a friend of the show, so I know it's not a troll. So we only got a few minutes left. I do want to get you back because in the near future because I want to talk about the DC six, what's going on there. So let me bring on Sue here. So let me just unmute her and sweet Sue, you're here with John O'Connor. You have a question for him. Yes, just real quick. Uh, what do you think, Senator, Senator Lujan's stroke, what effect is that going to have in the future agenda? I'm from New Mexico, and this guy's a real jerk. <laughs> well, that's a good, that's a real good question. That's a real good question, isn't it? Um, well, right now, of course, it, it upsets the balance of the Senate. You know, uh, so uh, and and to the disfavor of the Democrats. Uh, so what's going to happen in the future? If he, of course, if he recovers and then and he and they say he's going to recover without any kind of a, a cognitive defect, then I think it'll life will go on as it is. Well, I, you know, I don't wish him any ill will. Um, I do think he'll recover, but I. I think it's going to take probably a year, so it's probably put the kibosh on the Democrats anyway, I hope. Thank you very much, and thanks, Annie. Bye. Okay, thank, thank you. you, sweet Sue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, this is going to be interesting how long it will take him to recover, because he's just had some traumatic brain uh, surgery uh, with an injury. Anyone who has a stroke has a traumatic brain injury, because I'm dealing with my mom who had a major stroke uh, so they're saying he won't be paralyzed, but what happens to the cognitive ability of him? You know, how well is he going to be able to recover, you know, brain-wise? That's the good question. So, you know. Well, well, let me ask you this. Let me say this, Annie. We have a president of the United States who has a couple of uh, yeah. neurological incidents, and they Could explain involve a lot. <laughs> the part of the brain that is, yeah, they involve a part of the brain that involves impulse control. You wonder why he exactly. says and does all these crazy things. He's 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 neurologically impaired. Uh, you know, yeah. forget about his dementia. Forget about the fact that he's wasn't the brightest bulb around to begin with. So you put all these things together, and it's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. It is. It is very scary. And you watch him day to day. And if you look at pictures of him when he did the inauguration, and then it's now, just a little over a year later, you look at pictures of him now, even facially, you can see how he has changed so dramatically. So the mental and physical toll being taken, and this is a heavy job. You know, I don't think we've ever seen, outside of Donald Trump, a president leave the White House without having gray hair. But then again, we don't know what bottle color Donald uses. Well, that's right. That's right. Yeah, maybe he doesn't get gray hair. 
but um, but yeah, that's that's another problem. This is a guy that's gone along his whole life without having to think a lot. He just is not a guy that has really gotten down and wrestled with things. And now he's in the presidency. He's in the Senate where you could just float along and say stupid things and vote one way or the other, depending on on which way the uh, you know uh, uh, which way the winds are blowing. But um, you know um, uh, the um, uh, and that's what's the problem with getting a guy that's sort of a happy jack senator without a, a lot of thought, putting him in that position at his age. It's just not fair. No, he was good for the sound bites, but sound bites they must translate into actual policies, and he has not been able to do that. So he goes from sound bite to sound bite, and then you get Jan Psaki trying to mop up after him, and she makes things worse. I mean, if anyone with the worst, you know, spokesperson for the White House, I think that woman is. And there she's making fun of Judge Jeanine Pirro, you know, criticizing their their handling of crime. And it's like, what, what crime? Are you t- I mean, hello? Hello? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I thought Jimmy Carter was the worst, and I did not vote for him, thankfully. Um, I never will vote for a Democrat, but it's not in my DNA. But when I see what's going on in the White House, I'm just praying, praying that something intervenes to save us. But I, like I said, John, I really do want to get you back to talk about you know the DC six because now you had 13 of those Oath Keepers being charged with sedition. They haven't given anyone insurrection yet. What's the difference between sedition and insurrection so people can understand when, what these differences of charges are? Well, insurrection is a, an actual uh, armed, uh, I, I would say, a military type of action against the government. That is, it, like, like, for instance, an insurrection would be the Civil War. Uh, sedition is any kind of act uh, that is, uh, you know, a close to treasonous it doesn't have to be treasonous but is sort of plotting against the government i guess it is you could commit sedition by a whisper in insurrection you need more than a whisper it's nice to have a gun and shooting at somebody or you know whatever so sedition is a pretty heavy charge you know i think the first alien and sedition act was in 1803 john adams tried to have it it was very unsuccessful because really there's a fine line between dissent and sedition. So somebody says, I hate the government. I'm going to work against this government. Well, is that sedition? No. I mean, in many cases, it's democratic protest. So um, sedition is really uh, – what I'm saying is it's been criticized by civil libertarians for the ages. What does sedition mean, and isn't it a way to silence your critics? That's the problem with sedition. You ought to come up with an actual crime that people recognize. You know, if somebody assaults somebody, we'll charge them with assault. If somebody assaulted a police officer guarding the Capitol, I don't care if you thought you had a right to get in. You, you, you assaulted somebody, okay, let's – but sedition, you know, give me a break. You know, give me a break, yeah. especially if the motive for the alleged sedition is, is that they thought the election was unfair. Well, let me, let's go back to it. my time. Uh, in my early days when all my friends were protesting against the war. Were they committing sedition? No. Did they sometimes assault somebody? Yes. And when they did, they got sent to jail, as they should have been. 
But is that sedition? I don't think so. I think you're protesting the government's actions. Uh, so yes. we've got to be careful. There's, it's like this inflation of ideas, inflation of verbiage, inflation of charges. You know, you take an assault and you make it sedition. Give me a break. Yeah. Well, John, like I said, I've got to have you back, and we need more than half an hour because I also wanted to talk to you about these COVID lawsuits being brought on by families who can't get the medications they need because they're growing in number. So, John, where can people find you? Well, go to postgatebook.com, and I have on there a podcast, The Mysteries of Watergate, or you can get on your regular podcast, but postgatebook.com and The Mysteries of Watergate. Those two things would be places to uh, see and hear what I have to say. Well, God bless you, John. We'll have you back very soon. Okay, Annie, great talking to you. Good, good, great it's talking to both pleasure. of you. Take care. Right. See you. Check out John O'Connor, postgatebook.com. Bringing on our next victim in the lineup. He's new to the show. want to welcome aboard. He's the uh, founder and uh, also an author of Brave Books, bravebooks.com. Welcome aboard, Trent Talbot. Good afternoon, Trent. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me, Annie. Yeah, you have something very, very interesting. And matter of fact, I had a little bit of a clip here to introduce you to, if I can get my little mouse to work. Come on, mouse. Where's my cat when I needed to chase the mouse? Here we go. (laughs) And that's not what I want. All right, let's get my board unmuted. And here we go. Oh, come on. There we go. We got it. We got it, Toyota. Let's bring this up. Long ago, we fought a battle between good and evil, defending our land. And from that battle, Freedom Island was forged. From the frozen city of Shivermore, all the way to the scorching lava lake at Mount Avalara, where Moby and I prevailed over Blackheart. We thought the battle was over, but I see now that freedom is something we will always have to fight for. Because I am not the lion I once was, you will need younger heroes to take my place as this fight for Freedom Island rages on. Younger heroes, like Bongo and his coconut cannons, Rebel and her supreme speed, Asher and his inventive Valor and his patriotic spirit, Eva and her miraculous mind. And of course, we need you to join Team Brave. Team Brave will be assigned important missions to help defend the entire Brave universe and drive out the evil forces that threaten our freedom. During these missions, you will be tasked with being bold yet wise, funny, and serious, strong but gentle, crafty and witty, while holding freedom close to your heart. And above all, you must be brave. These evil forces are ready. Are you? All right, brave books. All right. Tell us about these books, because I couldn't play the video, so they just only had to listen to the audio. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks I'll have this all set up so I can do the video so people can see the graphics that you have in the book and what comes with the book and what you do with the kids with the books. Yeah, tell us about this, because you've got kids, so only a parent can think like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first of all, yeah, I'm the founder of Brave Books, and, and we're a publishing company that makes children's books that teach traditional values. And you know, started because 
I had a daughter of my own, and I was actually a practicing ophthalmologist just before I started Brave Books. And but my daughter Charlotte was born in the summer of 2020, and like in the two weeks after she was born, I was sort of had my head in the sand with politics, but but my eyes were definitely open because Netflix came out with the film Cuties, anti-racist baby was in the one book on Amazon. Nancy Drew came out with a trans character, and I just my eyes were open to this real war that's going on for the hearts, minds, and souls of our children. And and so I looked at the landscape uh, of, you know, the entertainment for kids, like how, how kids are learning both on TV and books and, and just, uh, just felt a calling that, that there needed to be a company um, that, that made, that, that made entertainment, entertainment for kids that, that taught uh, traditional values and, and sort of equipped, children with the with the understanding um that would help them discern you know all the crazy lessons that's being taught on social media hollywood even now in their schools and and so uh that's how brave books got started and 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 yeah the video you just played is 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 something that that the kids watch and and with the with the at the end of every book we have these things called brave challenges where we where parents can play games and have discussions, discussion questions with their kids to help really drive home the lesson, whether it's the sanctity of life, um, gender identity, the Second Amendment, just honesty, things like that. Now, how often do these books come out? We're a subscription model where our subscribers get a new book each month, and each book uh, teaches a, a new, a new important value. And people can just go to bravebooks.com and sign up for it? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's where we're at, bravebooks.com. And, and, and yeah, we, we've, we've, we've tried to make, we've tried to make uh, our books as, as entertaining and, and as, as fun as possible so, so that whenever kids see the map and the universe and the characters, it really just captures their imagination um, because once that, that's the hardest thing really with, with teaching kids is just getting their attention, right? You know, that there's a million things vying for their attention. And if you can capture, we found that if you capture their attention with both a, an incredible universe and characters and then really fun stories, then parents can use that, that framework and their attention to have a, have a, a more in-depth conversation about whatever topic the book's on. So, you know, like we have a book on, uh, on gender identity, called Elephants Are Not Birds, and have a book on the sanctity of life called Little Lives Matter. And, and so, so we take these, these complex topics, bring them into a fun story, and then, and, then, and then in the back of the book sort of set up uh, family time, more or less, between families and, and kids. And, and it's been an awesome journey and awesome to see sort of the kids um, learning these important topics. So you actually make sure that the parent is involved with what the children's reading and learning and doing. So it's not like you're parking them in front of a smart device, walking away while you make dinner or go on a date. Right, exactly. You know, um, one of one of the things I hate most in life seeing is is families in which parents or the the kids can't stand their parents. Um, like I was, I was at I was at a restaurant. A couple nights ago, and it was a family mom, dad, looked to be like a 16-year-old uh, son that was with him, and the 16-year-old had you know, purple hair, nose ring, and you could tell just was miserable, despised his parents, and 
I think in cases like that, you know, his parents look like very, you know, straight up people. Um, in cases like that, it's, you know, that kid was probably raised more by culture than his parents. And, you know, with any people, whether it's you know, people in a country or community or family, what keeps people together is shared values. And we live in an era where it's so individualistic, where even, even, Members of the, of a family have much different different values, especially when you talk about different generations, parents and kids, and and it can it can just ruin those relationships. So one one of our core missions is to try to is to help facilitate the transmission of values down from one generation to the next, because we think that you know as the family goes, the the communities go, and as the communities go, the country goes, and and. and and when it comes to building strong families, you have to have shared values, and, and there's just not enough discussion among families. And so we we try to we try to make that happen. And and so far, you know, we think we're doing pretty good. Well, you know, we've got it where the government, especially you had the former governor of, of Virginia, saying that well, parents have have no right to be involved in their child's education where you are actually promoting the exact opposite. The parents should be completely involved in the raising and, and education of their child. We've got this mentality that government knows better. The parents are stu- too stupid because even the kids know more than the parents do. Yeah, that's just, it's absolutely absurd. I mean, it's just, it's just the state trying to, trying to gain more power and, and, you know, they, they're, they their main competition for control you know is is the family and and there's a there's an, definitely an agenda to destabilize the family um that you know we see everywhere whether it's hollywood social media our schools um our laws that are passed that that you know make make it you know harder to to have a household income with just one working one working parent or both now have to work and it's just the, the family's under attack they've been under attack for a long time um but but you know i really believe that as the family goes the country goes and 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 just as individuals we need we need that we need that we need the family to be strong because um it's just it's just critical, and it's, especially for our for our young people. It's that's where they that's where they should learn. That's where they should grow. That's that's where they should have their strongest relationships. And and whenever they don't, you know, they end up lonely um, and and easy to control. And that's not what we want. And miserable, and miserable. And you know, it's 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 easy to simmer in anger than it is to sit back, laugh, and say, all right, fine, I can't control that situation, but I can control this. Or, or I can control how I react to that situation I can't control. And in today's society, it's easy to play the victim than to do something about being the victim or preventing yourself or proving you're not the victim. And you know, it, it, Thinking outside the box is not allowed any longer. You have to do the group think. What everyone thinks, you think. But this is the problem. It's government control. You said it. It's all about government control. Yeah, yeah, I completely, I completely agree. And you know, like, like kids, kids need a kids need space to to 
work through ideas and and you know just it just seems like seems like there's not enough there's not enough not real dialogue with with children you know I, um, I'm about ideas like like the like the topics that our books are about you know whether it's gender identity sanctity of life dangers of communism honesty just um, just sort of those values that that America was founded on, and, and and so what happens if 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 there's no space for them to think for themselves and to 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 have conversations with with people that that know more than they do, then then they never, then basically they're only left to just sort of um, adopt whatever they're hearing, whether it's at school or on social media or Hollywood, and and, and that, that's just not that's not how that's not how we need to develop and. and and not not the ideal situation that we need to grow up in. We need to grow up in a situation where where we're we're forced to think about things and and to have discussions. And 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 I I believe you know by having discussions with our parents, it you one kids are able to to think think for themselves um, and to to learn from their parents. And but more importantly, just start the the habit more or less of 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 having having conversations with your parents about topics and learning from them, which will create a closer, closer knit family. Well, there's a lot of conversations going around the nation in families and between communities about what's going on in Ottawa, about this huge freedom convoy. And um, I had pulled up something that someone had posted on the uh, truckers uh, Facebook page and everyone's saying it's about the jab. It's about the mask mandate. It's about the jab. And that's all it's about. It's a fringe few. But when you start listening and talking to these people and you're looking at what they are posting, and I think this post put it the most succinctly, because you look at the diverse number of people that have gathered. They're of all different races, different genders. You've got gay, straight. You've got black, white, oriental, indigenous. You've got it's the entire nation of Canada, and it's also reflect, reflective of what we here are in the United States. It's about the freedoms and liberties, and this is what the person wrote. And it, it's anonymous, so I really can't you know, attribute it to anyone. It's about canceled surgeries. It's about friends and family we haven't been allowed to see, elderly parents passing away alone. It's the funerals of loved ones we haven't been allowed to attend to celebrate their death or even attend at all. It's the kids' canceled birthday parties, the two-year-olds that never had a birthday party yet. It's family and friends that have been divided by fear. It's a sharp decline in mental health because nothing's worse thing for depression as being lonely. It's the canceled vacations, work trips, festivals, concerts, parties, reunions, and weddings. It's telling us how many people are allowed to attend our weddings. It's masking our children while they sit in class, run during gym, gym, and play outside. It's having to choose between the vaccine that's given to your neighbor, given your neighbor heart problems, or your mother Bell's palsy, or losing your job. It's our healthcare workers, our heroes, losing their jobs, our public servants losing their jobs. It's the parents that have been forced to leave work to homeschool their kids. It's the missing work and debilitating on. Mortgages and bills. It's creating to be easy to choose to stay home instead of work and being rewarded with free money. It's that money, that free money that we're all going to have to pay back through taxes. 
It's the isolation, the separation. It's telling us how many can come over for Christmas. It's the hours spent listening to our government officials dictate every inch of our lives. It's the fear-mongering that's been instilled upon us by our leaders and every single news outlet. It's the vacationers that have been stranded on cruise ships, resorts, and in airports. It's been the excuse for every single business to jack its prices up because COVID. It's the reason many are no longer to build their dream homes or move provinces away from their newly bought homes. It's the dad not being able to be present for their unborn baby's ultrasound. It's the mothers giving birth and being told our husbands and mother cannot be there unless both vaccinated. Yet, an unvaccinated doula can be. It's the hugs we've missed out on. It's the pro sports canceled, kids sports canceled, gym class canceled, rec canceled, competitions canceled, hair appointment canceled, photography lessons canceled, everything canceled. It's not being able to take your kids to their hockey game. It's the 10-year-old that's choosing a needle in her arm just so she can attend her dance competition. It's trying to explain to our two-year-olds, who are now four-year-olds, why they have to wear a mask. It's burnt-out teachers, burnt-out doctors, burnt-out nurses, burnt-out fast-food workers, burnt-out moms, burnt-out grocery workers, burnt-out gas station attendants. It's the constant contradiction and changing of our rules. Our leaders, now dictators, dividing us, separating us even more. I can go on and on. But it's really been our freedom that's been impacted the most, the freedom of choice. So whether you agree with this convoy or not, I think the majority of us are ready to have that back now, please. Can anyone say it Ooh, better? Oh, strong. Yeah. And the, the, the overriding theme there was just the, the, the humanity, like, like there's just been a loss of humanity, um, since COVID, of, of you know how how our government um, views us and how we view each other and and it just it needs to come back for sure. So that, that was powerful stuff. Thank thank you for sharing. Wow. Well, you know the truckers took the stand because they're deeply impacted. They can't haul goods because they're not allowing the goods coming out of the ports, California. So if you don't have a truck that's 10 years or less, they're not allowing you to cross the border. Or if you don't have certain EPA controls on the truck, they're not allowing you to cross the border. So all these truckers can't go in there to get the goods so grocery shelves are empty. And, you know, the truckers, this is their job. This is their livelihood. They can't pay bills. They can't put food on the table because they're not allowed to haul. But when the truckers stop, the world stops, and this is why yeah. you are supporting them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We we, we support them one hundred percent. You know, they're they're uh, super exciting. What's going on in Canada? It looks. I, I think they're going to make a real difference in Canada, and hopefully, we have something similar here in the states. Well, I I hope so too, because they're talking about going from California to D.C., but I had said earlier. Why don't they hit all 50 states before they hit D.C. and gather the entire nation to stand behind them? Because you've got somewhere between 50,000 to 100,000. We don't know how many truckers are up there, and we don't know how many Americans have gone up to join them because there's a lot at, 
over a week ago, someone posted something about how many they had signed up. At that time, it was 62,000. What it is today, Lord knows. But do you think they're going to finally eventually let them cross the border? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, 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 I think, I think the truckers have shown just how much power they have, and, and the government's hand is going to be forced uh, to play ball, uh, at, least, at least in Canada. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I think the truckers are going, going to get whatever they want, um, personally, and, and then hopefully that, that will just – that will sort of – I think it's possible that the whole trucker thing in Canada could be a real just eye-opening um, event for the entire world, for, for the people of the entire world, that, hey, if you're organized and smart, you you really have the power. Like, like the government, the government, you, you, you should be the boss of the government, and, and don't, don't get it twisted and, and let, you know, these – these bureaucrats, you know, just run rampant on you. And, and so I, I, I can see this triggering a whole, whole um, laundry list of events that, that sort of start happening across the, across the world. Um, and I think we'd be much better for it. Well, what people don't realize, this actually started in Germany on the Autobahn. And even uh, farmers took their, their equipment out and joined the truckers on it. So it started in Europe, which has the least mm-hmm. amount of freedom compared to Canada and the United States. And as it went through, through Greece and Italy, uh, it morphed into coming into Canada. And at the same time, New Zealand was holding theirs. But how ironic that Justin Trudeau and the New Zealand Prime Minister both get COVID just about the same day, and they both go into hiding just about. Isn't that a little suspicious? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't think he he had COVID. Uh, yeah, he's 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 proved himself to be uh, to be a very weak leader, and and I, I can't believe he's still there. But hopefully, hopefully his his time as prime minister is going to be up here soon. I would I would imagine. Well, you know, one of the things they kept on saying is that the cops were against the truckers. But if you listen to the truckers themselves and you look at the postings. The police had been working with them to keep certain lanes open so that traffic can still continue to flow, keep certain exits open. So the, the, the cops were actually doing a lot to help facilitate. So in response, uh, there's a unit up there, police on guard, uh, which is police on guard for thee, and they wrote a press release. And I thought this was really nice. Um, Police on Guard is honored to support and stand with Canada Unity and the truckers' convoy to Ottawa. Canada Unity and Police on Guard formed a partnership prior to the Unity One convoy last fall and have continued building on their relationships in bringing Canadians together without divisiveness we see today. Members of the Police on Guard are so excited to meet and greet all the convoy participants with the Bear Hug 2.0. We ask that everyone remember this is a peaceful convoy and to spread the positive Canadian spirit with Canada's unity bear hugs. Police on Guard is honored to have been asked to speak at the rally in support of Canada unity regarding our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is enshrined in the Constitution Act of 1982. Police on Guard will continue to both, both support the Honorable A. Brian Peckford, the last living signature of the Charter and Constitution. Further, Police on Guard continues to support Mr. Rocco 
Galati from the Constitutional Rights Center. Members of Police on Guard have always and will always continue to support the values and freedoms set forth by our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So I guess the police are standing behind them in unity. Well, I, I think it's a misconception um, where people people think that because there's there's laws in place that that the majority of the people you know agree with the government. I, I think it's I think it's like eighty twenty, where where eighty eighty percent of people are pro freedom, anti mandate, um, but the government is just sort of going rogue and and trying to trying to acquire as much power. Uh, as they possibly can during during this crisis, but but I, I I think whether it's the police, whether it's the firemen, doctor, I mean I, I think I think just about everybody's really on an individual basis. They're 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 all all the people on the same page. We all we all want freedom. Um, I mean, there's a few brainwashed ones you know that are just living in fear that that want want to lock things down, but but. Other than them, I mean, we we all we all want the same things, and so we just need to we need to stop tolerating, you know, this uh, this tyranny that that our governments are are imposing on us. Well, you know, I was watching uh, some of the news uh, the other day, and no, it wasn't the left wing news, um, but there were several young girls uh, that were suspended from school because they were part of the anti-mask protest. But then when you looked at how the rest of their classmates behaved against them, calling them names, throwing things at them, would this not be a great topic for one of your books on what you should be doing if someone disagrees with you, where, whether or not you wear the mask or not, you know, how to behave and how to treat your fellow classmate with respect? I think that's a fantastic topic, too, because I'm looking at what these poor kids are going through. What are we raising in these schools to be so vile and vicious to your fellow classmate? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the children are the most easily manipulated and, and the most easy easily controlled. So it, it's not it's not too surpri- too surprising to to see, you know, some some kids sort of adopt that indoctrination of of, you know, being being rude to to kids without masks or that aren't vaccinated. Um but but you know, t- to your point, yeah, I mean, we have to we have to teach, you know, the job, it's our primary duty as parents to teach our teach our children and and as far as books by brave book that that we can do, well, just released one book um, called The Fight for Freedom Island, which is on the topic of, of freedom, um, which is a very, you know, important issue today. And so that, that's that's one that could help parents talk to their kids about about these topics. Um, we've got a book coming out in sort of middle of 2022 on the freedom of speech and why, why it's so important that um, – that we hear differing viewpoints and that we allow everybody to express their opinion and we don't, we don't um, show this down. We ha- and actually we, we have, we have a book that's already out called fame, blame, the raft of shame with uh, Dan Crenshaw. And that that's on the topic of cancer culture and just, it warns, warns about, you know, cancer culture and, and explains to kids why, why we need, why we need to respect each other's opinions and, and, hear them out. It's a fantastic book. So, so, you know, like all the, all these topics, they are, um, they're, they're all, 
they're all important, and they all sort of work together to, to build that foundation in a, in a young mind on how how kids are, you know, how like what how the West was built, why it's the best place on earth, and then and then how they're supposed to you know act and 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 the values the values um, the, the values that lead to to good interaction among among whether it's friends family um, or even you know even countries. Well, you know, who are some of the people that you've collaborated with on these books? Um, we've partnered with Jack Posobiec, Dan Crenshaw, the Hodge twins, Dana Lash, um, Graham Allen. Those are some of the some of the names. Um, so, so very, very influential people. Some 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 people with very um, strong strong voices. Um, so, like. Dana Lass is probably, probably the leading voice on gun rights, and so she she partnered with us to write the book uh, "Paul's Off My Cannon," which teaches teaches the importance of the Second Amendment and, and in a really fun way. So so each each author sort of has like has a, a particular topic that they're especially passionate about, and so so they partner with us to to help help uh, teach that topic to to the youth because you know that's that's what it's all going to come down to one day. One day they're going to be running the show and, you know, they're, they're just, they're under, they're under attack. Their, their minds are, there's, there's a coordinated campaign to, to indoctrinate uh, our youth in, in a way of thinking that's contradictory to, to how America was founded and what America was founded on. And so. Well, it's, it's so, so we, ironic that. Well, I was going to say it's so ironic that the name of the book is Pause Off My Cannon, considering what a crazy, creepy Uncle Joe said last night at the prayer breakfast, that the Second Amendment, did, our founding fathers never intended us to own a cannon. <laughs> when you think about the Revolutionary War, where did the cannons come from? The farmers that were using them to protect their fields. So, yeah, they they knew that we were going to be owning cannons. Where did a lot of the cannons come from for the revolution, for the Civil War? From private owners that put them into service. So, yeah, crazy Uncle Joe. <laughs> crazy Uncle Joe, yeah, yeah. He he just says he says things that that aren't that aren't backed in, in fact at all, and and. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a shame. It's a shame, and and and, and like th- that that goes to paint a picture of, you know, what's just going on. And, and so like, Joe Biden's talking to the nation and trying to sort of rewrite history, and and there's just <laughs> the whole the whole rewriting of history is something that's not new, but man, it's just, it seems like it's getting more and more aggressive. Um, you know, with things like the 1619 project and. And everything that's CRT and everything that's out there, um, you know, and, and and our kids, you know, they're they're young, they're impressionable. So when they hear these things, they're it sticks, and and so that's why it's just so important that we that we push back and we make sure that that we're that our kids are hearing truth, and so that whenever they hear these things, you know, for the first time, they're able to discern. Oh, you know what? That's not true. I'm going to ignore that, and and then their eyes eventually will get opened up to. The fact that hey, there's lies and deception out there, and it's very important that we become discerning and that we we 
have a passion and a desire to know the truth. And, you know, if, if, if like there is a core, core lesson that I'd like, um, you know, the, the readers of Brave Books and the subscribers to, to our monthly service, if there's a core lesson I'd like them to know or I'd like these kids to get, it's that the truth is so important and we have to know the truth, we have to love the truth, and, and we have to constantly be, be on the lookout for, for lies and deception. Um, that because now more than ever, there's, there's, there's a lot of it out there. Well, you know, the, the worst part is that these young children, as children, it's just their natural instinct to look up to an adult as one of authority, so that whatever the adult says, it has to be the truth, because the adult told me that. The big person over there said, you know, it's X, Y, Z. Now they go running home to mommy and find out, you know, mommy's saying, no, it's ABC. So how, how do you help, help them to realize that trust mom and dad more than you would trust a stranger? Well, I don't think it's as hard as you would think because, because kids, while they're young and they're easily manipulated, we all have um, – we're all able to discern truth pretty well, you know, as long as we hear it, you know, as long as, not, as long as we've heard truth, you know, once you hear something that's true and that makes sense, it, it sticks, right? And, and, and whenever, and even, even young kids, if they've, if they've heard truth and they know the truth, when they hear lies, they can, they can tell, hey, that's not true. Um, so, so luckily we have truth on our side, you know, like just the, the, the values that, that made America great, they, they make sense, and and the results sort of speak for themselves. You know, like America and the West is great, and there's other places that are not so great that that have different values. And so, um, I I think I think kids, as long as they've heard the truth, then they then they can they can discern. But but um, and I do think that kids kids naturally um, trust their parents more as long as long as there's been a conversation. But the problem here's the problem. It's that it's kind of challenging for parents to have a conversation with a six, seven-year-old about gender identity or the Second Amendment. You know, like those topics, if if you were left to your own devices, would just be sort of in the abstract. Like, how are you going to just have a sit down and have a conversation on the importance of the Second Amendment? Um, And so, what what we've known for for a long time is that. Children learn complex topics like those best through story. And so what the left has been doing since uh, for you know, just the past 50 years or so is they've been um, more or less teaching these topics to our younger generation. There's a reason why the, the youth vote is always strong blue. It's because all entertainment teaches, teaches sort of this, this – uh, this woke, this left, this left agenda, um, and, and that's how that's how kids learn. They learn through story. They learn, um, they learn through their entertainment. What what enters their enters their mind? And the right has just sort of ceded this space to the left, and and it's getting worse and worse. And, and so, you know, what we're trying to do here, at Brave, is we're trying to we're trying to create um, content books. You know, we're we're right now it's children's books. We're for ages four to twelve, we're getting into 
uh, novels and, and also a, a television series. And so we're, as a company, we're trying to create content that can compete with the best of the best that, that um, sort of the, the world has to offer um, and, and have it be just absolutely top-notch. And then while, while kids are being entertained, they're also learning. They're learning these, these um, vital uh, foundational values that they need and, and truth and so that we're creating a next generation that can can discern what's what's true versus false and that are strong and and eventually able to to lead and and keep keep what we've done here in America and, and throughout the west uh, keep it keep it going because we're the last the last light light of freedom left and and it's it's fading <laughs> the light's fading and and we need them we need them strong well, it's it's funny because I had a, a high school friend call me out of the blue that I haven't seen in several decades, um, and he wrote himself also a series of books aimed at 12 and up, but he aimed it for kids that just aren't accustomed to reading to encourage them to start reading, but doing the same thing basically you're doing through the story to teach good conservative values. So you're not alone. There are people picking up from where you leave off. So I think there's a whole army of you out there, and this is really so heartening that we are going to start taking back the education of the kids, but starting in our homes first. And I think that is so very important because when you look at the propaganda that's going out there and the addiction to these smart devices, I mean, we've made a disposable society, and we're losing entire generations of children uh, because we park them in front of the TV or in front of the computer or in front of their smart device. We walk away and say, well, they'll be entertained for the next hour and not pay attention to what they're looking at. Yeah. Yes, it's not it's not healthy. Um, and we – one, we need to – we need to all, all do better as parents and be, be more engaged with our children, more attentive, and, and be more involved to, with what what's going into their minds and, and – having having more conversations but also as just a you know as a movement um, as a whole we need to do a better job of creating um creating good entertainment because because listen like parents can't you know there's a lot of a lot of parents that just need need uh entertainment for their kids and and it's we're sort of looking at it um, as our job at Brave, I mean, yeah, there there may be some other people doing what we're doing. To be honest, I haven't heard of them, so so you know maybe maybe your buddies making some waves. But really, it's it's Brave, it's Brave Books at this point, and and we're we're definitely set up to be the 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 leader in in this whole space. And so we view it as our role to that entertainment and that that can really both spark the children's imagination, but then also teach them good good values while while that's happening now, and so 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 that's on us and then and then the parents also have to have to do their part which is to be more involved well now i got a question would you be looking at in the future turning some of these into an animated series with something interactive with them towards the end of it after each each one of the episodes yeah that's that's what we're looking to do i mean i mean we're definitely definitely doing the animated Great minds television think series <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then and then it's a little bit, a little bit up in the air on, 
on how interactive we're going to get at the end of each episode, but, but we're looking at some different possibilities right now. Wow. That's exciting. That yeah. is so, so exciting. Yeah. I wish you a lot of luck. luck. It's bravebooks.com, um, and people can subscribe for their kids, or it's even a good gift. So if you have, like, a grandchild a or a neighbor or something, it's a great gift. to Because uh, I know two neighbors right now that would love uh, what you're doing because they've been trying to do the same thing with their grandchildren. And, uh, yeah, they do look after them. So as our, as our friend Lucretia says, uh, Lucretia Hughes, she goes, my grandkids, I'm the one teaching them. <laughs> I'm giving them good values. Right. So, you know, it's, right. it's all family values. We've got to stop the government from breaking up our families and stealing our values. So we got the convoy in Ottawa. we got one coming nationwide. So we've got to give support to all these. And you watch at the parade route. You see the little kids with the signs. So you know the parents are out there teaching them these values, but having someone like you to help encourage them and, and give them a guiding path, it's fantastic. Uh, well, well, thank you so much for the kind words, and thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. Well, God bless for the hard work you do. Trent Talbot, check it out, bravebooks.com. And the animated little piece I played is really fun. It's a really good good uh, video. Yeah. Very imaginative. Thank Thank you so much, Annie. Appreciate it. You're welcome. God bless. All right. Check it out. Trent Talbot at uh, bravebooks.com. We're waiting for our friend Mark Tapscott to call in, but nine times out of ten, he's in the middle of writing an article. So once Mark gets involved in writing the article, his head goes down and he forgets. (laughs) So even if I send him a text, he's not going to see the text until the end of the article he's writing. And then nine times out of ten, he'll call me like five or six. Five or six at night, sometimes when he called me at 8 o'clock, he goes, I got so involved. I just finished now. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I can understand. But that's all right. We'll forgive him. We'll forgive him. We'll, be, we'll beat him up later. We'll beat him up yeah, later. When, but there's so much. When I write, so much when I write articles, I like to, to keep going, too, because you got a flow there. And sometimes if you stop, you lose that, that train of thought and you'll never get it mm-hmm. back. Exactly. So exactly. Exactly. Well, Sweet Sue is raising her hand again. Let's see if she wanted to say something else. It's good to hear her voice, too, today. Yeah, well, if the computer cooperates, the little circle is spinning and spinning and spinning. And it's going to eventually... There we go. Sweet Sue, you finally got your mic live. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I accidentally hit the wrong key. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Hey, Sweet Sue. Hi, hi, Curtis, but your show is absolutely fantastic. I love it. And uh, I just want to say, you know, this trucker thing, it's really going to get started in the United, too. But the supply chain here is really horrible. I haven't been able to get salting crackers for six weeks. Six weeks. What type of crackers? What type of crackers? Salting. Salting. Oh, salting. Yeah, and then, uh, as you know, Annie, I couldn't get distilled water from my oxygen for almost eight weeks in any store. And then when it finally came, and I can get it now, it went from $0.89 a gallon to $2.89 a gallon. The prices in the stores here... And, you know, this is the Midwest. We're obviously being supplied, you know, from the California side. 
But the prices are tripling and quadrupling in the store. Yet- almost everything. Well, I went to the grocery store yesterday, and normally I would have paid about maybe $75, $79, and I walked out of there with 132 So, yeah, prices are creeping up all over the place. <laughs> Thankfully, we haven't gotten hit that hard. I mean, the last time I purchased gallon, it was the gas was at 314 but I've got a special club that gives me 20 cents off, so I paid two eight, uh, 294 so I paid less than three dollars yeah. a gallon. I, I I hear around certain areas it's five dollars a gallon and climbing, and that's that's well, that's in California. In California, it's up to six dollars in some places. Uh, I've got a daughter out in California. Here in in Colorado, it's three eighty nine. Last time I looked, a gallon. So, and, you know, wow. I just, do you guys think prices will come down once Bubbling Joe and all these communists are out of power? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Uh, if we get Trump or someone of his ilk back in the office, and when, once he got in office the first time, Trump, the, the prices tumbled. Tumbled. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, he knew exactly the election, what to do. Yeah, before the election. Man. I was paying $1.69 a gallon before the election. Within a week after he, he, they declared Biden as the winner, it jumped to over $2. Within a week. Well, it's, you know, it's like amazing. And I want to ask you guys, because I haven't heard a lot of this, what do you think about Pence and Pence running? I think he's the biggest sleepball. He's right up there with Cheney and Romney to me, but they're really on, you know, that side trying to make a lot of rumbling about Pence. Well, uh, Curtis, you remember what our friend Ted Yoho said when we mentioned Mike Pence? (laughs) He's not a fan. It was not very pretty. It was not, he's not a fan. And they served together in Congress. Pence stands on more chance taking on Trump than um, Joe Biden at Joe Biden's best. And and I think the left realized this, and so they're trying to they're trying to create this um, scenario and to stir up, um, um, I guess, to antagonize the two between yeah. um, Ron DeSantis and Trump. So they're coming out with these things, um, articles about you know uh, Trump versus Ron DeSantis um, um, presidency or candidacy, and and I know what they're up to. You know, it's not going to work. Ah, that's, no. that's, I hadn't thought of it that way. I'm glad glad you said that. You know, another thing, can the two of you kind of talk a little bit about uh, January 6th and what these patriots in there are suffering? I just finished that book, January 6th, by Kelly. And it was Levine had recommended it. I highly recommend the book. But, you know, towards the end, when she starts interviewing people who were in the Capitol prison, it's a Hanoi Hilton. Oh, yeah. I, I oh, yeah. swear, that's and, what it is. In America, we have the Hanoi Hilton. It, yes, it is. Um, you've got mold on the walls. They've, they've been denied um, 
religious services. They've been denied medical care. Um, they have been in isolation, allowed if allowed out for only one hour, no interaction with anyone else. They're not allowed to talk to their attorneys, not allowed to talk to their families. It is it is absolutely a, a concentration camp. There's no other way to say what yes. it is. And, and it, is, yes. it is completely unconstitutional. If you talk about cruel and inhumane um, treatment, I mean, even the food. Even the food is the most disgusting stuff that you ever want. I'm surprised because you look at how emaciated some of these prisons are becoming. No, this is not the United States. Well, this, this is Nazi Germany. You know what? What was even worse, and this is why the Hanoi Hilton came, into, they're being tortured. Their yes. bones yes. are being broken. You know, the the ones who started just before lights out, they all go to their cell doors and they sing God Bless America. And they inevitably, according to these people, will take one or two, you know, who had really started this. And they say they hear screams, they're tortured. Uh, they're doing the same kind of torture they did in the Hanoi Hilton, you know, with that's, that's, with their arms and, and, I mean, just everything. And some of these prisoners have already died. Some of them need cancer treatment. One man uh, has lymphoma, and he hasn't had his cancer treatment, I think, in, I don't know, eight months. How can yeah. this occur? This is the Hilton. Yeah, they are. They're being beaten by the guards. And I'm sorry, that's not a law enforcement officer. That's a criminal. I wouldn't even yeah. allow them to be called a law enforcement officer. No, you're a criminal. If you turn around and you beat a prisoner, someone who cannot defend themselves, if you're being attacked, that is one thing. You're not being attacked. You are attacking the prisoner. That is You should be the one behind bars, not the prisoner. Now... The person that's ordering that, they should be behind bars. And that's the prison matrix, yeah. the, the woman that is running that prison. And she is denying it. And when Congress tried to get in, they did one of these little switcheroos. Oh, there she is out in the parking lot. And as soon as they walked out to the parking lot to talk to her, they locked the door and denied them re-entry. And what they do to the Congress, they, oh, you come in here, we're going to arrest you for trespass. I'm a member, member of Congress. I'm responsible for the oversight on your prison. You're going to deny me entrance? Yes, we'll arrest you for trespass. And what they are doing to these people, and, and that was one of the things I wanted to talk with John O'Connor about, and we're going to get him back and go into in-depth in, in what is going on actually behind there and how we already know um, Iranian intelligence has already um, infiltrated, not infiltrated, but imitated. They imitated the Oath Keepers, and they sent out messages, and they tapped into things, pretending to be Oath Keepers to do an instigation. And a lot of the stuff that was going on that came up to January 6th was behind Iranian intelligence. We know that. We also know, and I reported this on the show about a week or two before the, Jan the January 6th, uh, rally that I was getting word that Antifa was parking vans around the perimeter that had uniforms in it and possible weapons in them. And sure enough, where did the weapons to smash the windows come from? It wasn't from the people peacefully attending the Trump rally. 
They had to come from somewhere. And why was it after the, uh, the, quote, riot broke out? All of a sudden, we see signs of people changing out of Trump gear into street clothes. So this was set up. They were set up. It was a it, complete you know, setup. It, it's shocking. And another good book out there I'd recommend, I'm in the middle of reading it, is uh, Hemingway's, her new book out. And wow, is that one an eye-opener. I don't know, have you read it, Annie or Curtis? Which book is that one? Which Hemingway? Um, yeah. Oh, but her first name. She's the reporter. Molly? Molly Hemingway. She's got uh, a new book out. And wow, it, it's all about it. I think it's going to cover January 6th, but it also, she started way back, uh, you know, clear into kind of like Obama, and she's going through, you know, the takeover, the election, and I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go through it a couple of times. There's so much information in there. Well, this is, there's so much now coming out because Michael Newman also has it up. Um, it's called The Summary of January 6th, How Democrats Used the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror oh, Against the Political Right. And that's also written with uh, Julie Lee and Lee Smith. So Michael Newman has one out. Uh, you can get it up on Kim, Kindle. Um, so there's a lot of oh, books, a lot of information. That. A lot of information is coming out. Um, it's, it's coming now to the point where it is. It's going to come directly into Nasty Pelosi's office. We already said this. Why didn't she order the Capitol Police when when she was approached? She says no. When Trump called and said, "I've got twenty thousand troops at the ready. Tell me, I'll release them to you." She said no. Capitol Police said no. Why were there they- only? Police with no backup on one side of the Capitol, and everyone was on the other side where no one else was. Who opened up the constitutional doors? These are 20,000 pound, each door, 20,000 pound. You need a cannon to blow those doors open. They could only be opened from the inside, and that's where everyone went peacefully in along the stanchions, along a nice calm line through the rotunda. Who opened those doors? Who put those stanchions up? There are so many well, questions. Well, you know, the, the nine, and, and look at the timing of it. There were nine senators, Republican senators, who were not going to certify, certify the vote, which would have meant that the vote could not have been certified that way. It would have gone to a state-by-state state certification, one vote, one state. When I think it was the third or the fourth senator was up there saying he would not certify the state, that's when Nancy Pelosi did all this. And they did it to stop those senators. I mean, they did it against Trump, too. But a lot of it was they wanted to stop those senators. That That was very obvious. Louis Gohmert said it himself. Yeah. Not only that, Pence himself could have done a lot more, which oh, he claims yeah. later on that he didn't have the constitutional right to do. No, but this was the no Democrats, more insurrection. This was no, no more. The Democrats admitted. Than, Democrats admitted he had the power to to throw the casting vote. They admitted you know. it. 
But this you was know, no I, more I insurrection than Nancy Pelosi when she tore up Trump's speech. There was no insurrection, huh. but the media, they like to harp on these terms because they want to push that narrative, just like the narrative that, um, well, Trump always claiming um, that the, the election was stolen, but we know it's a lie. They push that well, all the I, time. Well, you know, I think well, when Nancy Pelosi tore up that speech, that wasn't an insurrection. That was destruction of government property, a felony. Yes. She destroyed yes. a government document. And nothing happened to her. That is an arrestable and a prison, a prison sentence. So she did it on camera, and forget it. There's no way of pleading not guilty at that trial. Well, do you think they're going to get rid of McConnell? That's another thing I want to hear you guys' no. opinions. I don't, don't think so. That's too bad. I don't think I so. I think if Trump gets back in office, they will, because he will have, by that time, we should have retaken the House, and we're going to have Only a lot of we, fresh new blood in there, a whole lot of fresh well, new yeah, blood. McConnell, McConnell's up for re-election, isn't he, in 2022? Yeah. yeah. And, and Trump is so sorry he campaigned for him. So let's see what happens and who runs against him. Let's see who yeah. runs against yeah. him. Because I think well, he's pissed yeah. off so many people in his state of Tennessee that I think that they may turn around and toss him out. If they toss him out, God bless them. They should have tossed him out the first time because he's been a rhino since day one. He's got direct ties to China, communist China. He should never have been the, the speaker. I mean, the, uh, the majority. China whatever. to be into everything. Good old China. Well, you know, they're getting worried about yeah, they're getting worried about Trump because this is the first time it has ever happened. The Trump rally in Texas that he had, YouTube allowed the live streaming to go on right until when Trump came up to speak. And you cannot find his speech anywhere on YouTube. Now, I did find it yesterday. There's this little off station, and they put it up. But it may be down by now, but they put it up in such a way that it wasn't going to flag it right away. You know what I mean? But, I, you know, RSBN, uh, they've always been able to live stream his rallies and everywhere. But the, the social media and YouTube is doing everything in their power not to let his message get out. They're afraid. Well, you know, check Newsmax out because Newsmax was streaming it I, live. But meanwhile, I, I think this. Newsmax. Meanwhile, I think this is our next guest, Sue. So uh, I'll be talking oh, okay. to you later. All right, right. Clear? bye. All right. So I do believe this is our next guest coming in. So our final victim of the evening, uh, it, it should be Zach Smith of the Heritage Foundation. Is this Zach? It is, Annie. How are you today? All right. How are you doing? We've been having a rock and roll and good show. It has been nothing but nonstop today. But I have to yell at my friend Mark Tapscott. I think he's got his head buried in another article. He forgot to call in. But I'll yell at him later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you having me on, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. All right, so we're talking with Zach Smith at the Heritage Foundation. He is the legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. And, uh, man, I've got a whole list of stuff that I want to talk to you about. But the Supreme Court a while back made a a really 
split decision on these vax mandates. And now we see these convoys in Canada and one coming to a neighborhood near you. Do you think anything's going to change on that? Would SCOTUS then turn around and do reversal on healthcare workers or what? Well, it's an interesting case. You know, look, I think it's important to keep in mind the posture, the kind of the procedural process that was used to get these cases to the court so quickly. They were brought as emergency motions. I mean, the court weighed in without the full marriage briefing that it typically goes through. And so basically what the court did when it essentially split the baby, it said while the litigation continued in the lower federal courts, it wasn't going to allow the OSHA mandate, the mandate for private employers to go into effect, but it was going to allow the mandate for healthcare workers to go into effect. And so the underlying substantive litigation is still continuing in the lower federal courts and may very well make its way back to the Supreme Court again. All the court was doing there was saying, yes, the uh, healthcare worker mandate can go into effect while the underlying litigation continues, and no, the OSHA mandate cannot go into effect. And so, Annie, I don't think this is the last we've heard of this story. I think there will be a lot more uh, news on this as the litigation continues in the lower federal courts, and again, as it you know potentially even makes its way back up to the Supreme Court on the merits. Well, now the question is: Is now OSHA withdrew their mandates? Now, would this affect the court case, the fact that OSHA turned around and stepped back and said, well, maybe this wasn't such a smart idea? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Now, what OSHA did, they withdrew the mandate because of the way it was implemented. They used an emergency process, essentially, to implement these uh, uh, vaccine mandates on private employers. And so they said they're going to go back through the normal notice and comment process, the normal process, which is a little bit more lengthy, but they intend to re-implement these same regulations. At least that's what they're telling the public right now. And so, again, I suspect that once that process is completed, it will, uh, you know, once again be litigated in the, uh, in the courts and, you know, continue to be litigated in the court of public opinion. But, look, regardless of the legal merits of the case, I think it's a terrible policy. I was very glad the Supreme Court stopped the OSHA mandate from going into effect. And, you know, uh, you know it's, it's really you know, disappointing to see the Biden administration doubling down on this very bad, uh, very legally dubious policy. Well, now I'm going to bring you over to Loudoun uh, School District in Virginia, and there is a war going on. There's no other way to describe it, a war between the parents and the school superintendent who is completely ignoring um, – uh, Youngkin's uh, executive order. Now, an executive order is not a law, but normally people would treat it with a little bit more respect than this school supervisor. And he's basically saying there's going to be no exemptions. I don't care if you have religious or medical, no exemptions whatsoever. You don't wear it, your child's suspended. If your child comes back on campus, they'll be arrested for trespass. Is there so any legal action that the parents or the governor can take against the school superintendent. So I will confess, Annie, I haven't looked closely at what the Loudoun County superintendent has said, but if the policy is no exemptions, regardless of any religious concerns, regardless of any uh, disabilities or other uh, ADA-type accommodations that may be sought, good luck with that. I hope the citizens of Loudoun County are ready to fund significant settlements. Uh, that the school district is going to have to pay out. At a minimum, uh, I can't imagine 
that the school would be allowed to continue with a policy that provides for no religious exemptions, a policy that provides for no disability-related accommodations. For instance, if a child has asthma or maybe some other uh, uh, physical condition that would prevent them from wearing a mask. Uh, so if that is the policy, uh, you know, that is very unfortunate. And again, I think one that exposes uh, Loudoun County and its citizens to significant uh, liability when the lawsuits <laughs> are inevitably filed. I, I will tell you, Annie, as a lawyer, uh, as much as that policy troubles me, in some ways it's a good news because uh, that is, you know, that seems like an easy case to take and to win on. <laughs> Well, now, the ramification, if you were to take that case and win, how would that help the men and women in the military that are being summarily dismissed without even allowing their exemptions to be taken into consideration? Could that spill over and have a ramification for the military? Potentially, potentially. But, you know, the military is actually kind of this, uh, it's a third bucket of exemptions. Uh, our vaccine mandates that the Biden administration has been placing on individuals. You know, we had the OSHA one we talked about. We had the healthcare worker one we talked about. And then the one for government employees and contractors. And so this DOD mandate, Department of Defense mandate, is essentially a subset of the uh, government employee and contractor mandate. And so, you know, one of the issues uh, that recently came up in the litigation surrounding this was the fact that the DOD, even though they were giving lip service to the idea they were providing religious exemptions, uh, when you look back and look at the number of applicants who had applied for those exemptions and the number who were granted them, it was very, very small, if any. Uh, and so the good folks over at First Liberty, it's a religious liberty uh, litigation organization headed up by uh, Kelly mm-hmm. Shackelford down in Texas. Uh, they're litigating uh, several cases involving the DOD. Uh, they have one where they are representing a group of Navy SEALs uh, who were denied religious exemptions, uh, and they're doing fantastic work on that front. And so I would encourage uh, you and all of your listeners, go check out First Liberty. Look at the work they're doing on this DOD uh, vaccine mandate issue. It, it's great stuff, and, you know, they're having having uh, uh, good success in the lower federal courts so far. Well, if you go to First Liberty, and if you want to help these men and women, make a donation to their legal fund to help them with the court fees. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, if you want to help them, just go there and make a donation. I don't care if it's $5 or $10. Anything and everything you can do to give them a hand is really good and really important. I'm going to switch the subject a little bit. We've got the attack on free speech. And recently we saw this with Joe Rogan and the whole kerfuffle uh, with Spotify and everything else. But throughout this all, creepy Uncle Joe, I mean, President Biden, wants more to be done to tamp down on our freedom of speech. And they call it uh, inaccuracy uh, in reporting. Now, he's a commentator. He's allowed to have an opinion. Uh, so if you have an opinion that may go in the wrong direction, it doesn't mean that you're specifically wrong, but you're, you're just expressing your opinion and exercising your free speech. So if I say that wall, which is painted white, is brown, I mean, that's freedom of speech. So why well, would they want – go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, Annie, this is part of a large and troubling trend. You know, while it may not technically be a First Amendment violation if Spotify, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast platform, were to shut him down, because there has to be government action uh, for a First Amendment violation to take place, meaning the state government, your local government, the federal government has to do something to chill that free speech, it's still a very troubling development, one that I think 
flies in the face of certainly the ideals that back up the First Amendment. You know, not only have we seen this with Joe Rogan, but I don't know if you've seen uh, kind of the uproar surrounding another uh, libertarian commentator, Ilya Shapira. Uh, he used to be with the Cato Institute. Uh, he recently started at the Georgetown University Law Center. He's a respected academic, uh, a prolific filer of amicus briefs in the Supreme Court. And he tweeted a comment uh, out about uh, Biden's impending nomination, uh, Supreme Court nomination. You know, Joe Biden has pledged uh, to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. And Ilya made a tweet. It was a little inartfully worded, to be candid. Uh, but he basically mm-hmm. tweeted the idea, you know, why is someone's race and gender the predominant qualifications we're looking at when appointing a Supreme Court justice? The most qualified person may well be a black woman, uh, but it may be someone else. And he gave an example. There's a, a very well-known progressive judge, Sri Srinivasan, on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, that would certainly uh, be as qualified as many of the other candidates that the Biden administration is, is vetting. And so his point was, you know, why, why are race and gender the predominant factors uh, that the Biden administration are using? That's a very troubling development and one that seems to be really, you know, antithetical to a lot of our values as Americans. Now, unfortunately, uh, folks on the left didn't like this tweet. They picked up on it, uh, and they basically got Georgetown to suspend him, uh, to conduct an investigation into him. And really, it's an effort, I think, to try to get him fired uh, from his position at Georgetown and really to chill anyone else in an academic environment who may raise those very real, very reasonable uh, questions. And so, you know, what we're seeing with Joe Rogan, what we're seeing with Ilya uh, is very, very troubling and part of this larger cancel culture movement. And by the way, uh, Ilya has been painted as a racist throughout this. I don't think that's the case. I think if you go back and look at his what he said in the past, his scholarship, his uh, cases that he's taken on, uh, it's really uh, the furthest, furthest thing from the truth. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, we've seen those on the left and others uh, not let facts uh, stand in the way of, of their narrative they're pushing forward. Yeah, well, they say people, the American people have the right to have access to accurate information. Well, in today's day and age, you know, if you don't know how to use a public library, you do a little bit of Googling. Well, it doesn't mean Google definitely is going to give you the uh, the right information, so try DuckDuckGo. But, you know, the, it's at the, at the tip of your fingertips. So if one person gives you information you may not completely agree with, you just do a little bit more research and decide what the truth is yourself. But no, we've got to spoon feed the American people because they're too stupid to know what the truth is. So therefore, government has to regulate what they consider the truth is. Hello, 1984. Well, I think that's certainly what we're seeing. Uh, unfortunately, some in government, some outside of government proposing. You know, and there certainly has been, just from a, a policy perspective, you know, I think if you watch what the Biden administration is saying, what they're doing, if you watch any of Jen Psaki's press conferences and attempt to uh, belittle those who disagree with her and attempt to gaslight the American people in many uh, respects. And, I, you know, the good news is, Annie, I think the American people are smarter than that. I think they're getting sick of this treatment. Uh, they want accurate information. They welcome a debate of ideas, uh, which is something that is sorely needed in this country right now. And, you know, I, I think it, in many respects, you know, I certainly am, and I think many others are sick of the attempts to shut that down and to demonize anyone who may disagree with this progressive left-leaning ideology. And so, you know, the more we, just as we're doing here today, can engage in an open and free exchange of ideas, uh, the better off we are as a nation. 
Well, you know, a little bit of difference here is that now <laughs> Uncle Joe uh, was talking about the Second Amendment, and he's done this throughout his entire career. And there are certain clips you can pull up that he says basically the same thing over the years, but he went really overboard at the prayer breakfast when he said the Second Amendment, the Founding Fathers never intended for you in the Second Amendment to buy and own a cannon. Um, I don't think we could have fought the Revolutionary War if the private citizen didn't already own the cannon that the the Revolutionary Army needed. More or less also the Civil War, we couldn't have had half the equipment to get onto the field unless it was private citizens that gave them the equipment. Uh, Hello? (laughs) Yeah, well, look, like so much that, uh, unfortunately, uh, Joe Biden and his administration say, that's just not true. It's factually inaccurate. I encourage everyone to go check out uh, my colleague Amy Swear's work. She, She does great work on the Second Amendment. She actually had a tweet thread responding to that specific claim talking about the prevalence of private cannon ownership at the time of the American Revolution, and that, in fact, it was so prevalent that some towns enacted ordinances uh, talking about when and when they could not be discharged for celebratory events and other events. Uh, But go check out her thread. It's demonstrably false. Uh, You know, and it reminds me of something else, Annie. You know, Chuck Schumer uh, took to the floor uh, (laughs) yesterday in the Senate uh, and said that, you know, until 1981, uh, there had not been a a black justice serving on the Supreme Court. Well, the only problem with that is Thurgood Marshall was appointed in 1967. Uh, And so apparently facts just don't matter. Uh, any more to those on the left. Uh, But I think it's important to fact-check them and call them out for those inaccuracies uh, when they occur. Yeah, it was the bigot of the South, LBJ, that appointed through a good marshal. Right. (laughs) The one that was blocking the civil rights uh, uh, legislation and exchanged votes in order to pass the legislation, if anyone knew the history of that one. But I I loved it because we're watching it. And creepy Uncle Joe goes, and this guy committed a murder with a Glock with 40 rounds. And I almost got up out of my chair just to make sure that mine only carried, you know, not 40 rounds. But I, like, I said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. We got a little problem here. Mine's got 15. So where's he get the 40 rounds? Uh, so the, the misinformation well, they put out to the public, and the public eats it up because they seem to feel that guns are bad, guns kill. No, the person behind the gun. However, the Second Amendment says it shall not be infringed. The right to own shall not be infringed. What part of that do they not get? Well, look, and I think that's a great point, Annie. It ties into something you and I have talked about before. You know, what we're seeing in many of these cities are many of these so-called progressive prosecutors, I call them rogue prosecutors, who are refusing to enforce the laws. And so you have violent individuals being released back onto the streets, not being held uh, in confinement pending trial, who are being released after only a few years incarceration, if any incarceration incurs at all. And then they are going, getting illegal guns, and committing violent crimes. And so you're absolutely right. It isn't a problem uh, that we that guns are committing crimes because they don't. It's that progressive prosecutors, rogue district attorneys throughout the country are not doing their jobs and holding criminals accountable and protecting their communities. And so when you have this breakdown in law and order, when you have these attempts to pass the buck and push policy solutions that not only don't work uh, but that are also constitutionally unsound, you know, it puts us in a very dangerous, uh, very bad position uh, as a republic. Well, you just opened up the next door because in New York City, uh, the DA in Manhattan, DA Adams, is actually rewriting the laws. 
now, can he be prosecuted or impeached? Because he is not upholding his oath of office. Now, he swore to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state of New York and faithfully discharge its laws. He is failing to do that by saying, well, now, I'm sorry, you get arrested for gun possession, and it's no longer a felony if it's in the commission of a crime, and a robbery is not a robbery any longer. They're all little misdemeanors or violations. What do you right. do with a DA so, like that? I mean, how do you prosecute them or get them out of office? Right. So Alvin Bragg, the new Manhattan DA, came into the office, first right. day in office, or first few days in office, published a, a memo. Uh, uh, basically ordering his deputies not to prosecute most misdemeanors, ordering his deputies to not seek jail, even for violent offenses in many cases, and saying that when they are authorized, in the rare instance they are authorized to seek jail, there's a cap. I, I can't remember if it's 20 or 25 years, but it's a very low cap uh, that they are the maximum they're authorized to seek. Uh, which is far below the statutory maximum for many of these offenses. Uh, And so I think what is encouraging in some sense about this, we saw Eric Adams, the new mayor, his police commissioner, uh, basically pushing back against these policies. The police commissioner, uh, who was appointed by a Democratic mayor, uh, basically said that these policies are dangerous, that they're putting the lives of her officers, her officers' safety at risk. And we've even seen New York's governor, Democratic governor, uh, basically threatening uh, Alvin Bragg that she has the power to remove him from office uh, if he's not doing his job. Now, she's walked back that statement uh, since that story broke, uh, but you know, I think that really highlights just how radical uh, these policies are that even his fellow uh, Democrats are getting fed up with it and are saying, no, no, this goes too far and is making our communities less safe. Well, um, thank you for correcting me because I mixed up the name Adams with Bragg, and that was my bad, right. you know, brain fart. We'll, we'll admit to having brain no, parts. Would... <laughs> they, both, uh, they both came into office at the same time. And uh, look, you know, and it's, it's kind of interesting that you have a Democratic mayor, Eric Adams, who ran in part on uh, enforcing law, uh, law and order. He's a former police captain in the NYPD. And so when you contrast what Eric Adams is saying and what Alvin Bragg is saying, they seem to be two incompatible approaches. And so I'm hopeful uh, that the mayor will hold the line Uh, instruct the NYPD to keep making arrests, even if Alvin Bragg isn't going to hold these criminals uh, or these accused individuals, Uh, you know, even if he's not going to seek bail for them, even if he's not going to prosecute them, you know, the NYPD should keep doing their job so that it's clear that it is Alvin Bragg who is not doing his when the crime numbers, you know, inevitably continue to increase. Well, you know, I still have a couple of connections after I retired, so I, I've been getting the pulse of that, and uh, I'm surprised Al, uh, Adams is being um, towing the line. We'll wait to see what happens as it goes down the line, because he is a political animal. He went into NYPD right. and then went into New York State Congress, so, you know, you don't know which side of the street he's always staying on. And we only got a few minutes left, and I just wanted to hit this last one thing. Um, a while back, there was a coach, Kennedy, uh, who was fired for praying after every football game. So now this court is going, this court, this case is going up before the Supreme Court. Can you be fired for praying? I certainly How hope not. I think it's a sad day. I think it's a sad day in America that this case even has to come to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, that this coach, who in his personal capacity, after a football game, uh, prayed at the 50-yard line, 
uh, was essentially fired uh, for exercising his faith. And so, you know, I mentioned the good folks at First Liberty. This is another one of their cases they've been involved in and litigating from the beginning. Uh, and now it's up to the Supreme Court. And I think it's an encouraging sign that the Supreme Court took this case. They did not have to do that. Uh, but I am hopeful uh, that, you know, the Supreme Court will issue a ruling saying, in the United States of America, praying, uh, exercising your faith in a public manner in your own time is not a fireable offense. You know, I had a member of my Tea Party once come in, and she had a court case, a trespass case. The case was dismissed, and before the judge, she goes, you know, not thinking, but she just said, oh, thank God. And the judge reprimanded her for saying, oh, thank God, in his courtroom. And this is what we're coming to. And this is the perfect example well, I, of that. You know, where, where is prayer allowed? Wait a minute, isn't the First Amendment said, nor prohibit the free expression thereof? Free expression thereof? Well, I will put in a plug for a few groups that I think are doing excellent work. Uh, in this area, Annie. You know, certainly we at Heritage value religious liberty. We're pushing forward every day to promote that, make sure that the rights of Americans, you know, the first liberty really is protected. The folks at First Liberty are doing excellent work. The folks at Liberty Council, uh, the folks at the Beckett Fund, and then at ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, are all doing excellent work in the religious liberty space. And so if any of your listeners are interested in learning more about what's happening in the space or interested in getting involved, uh, donating to any of those groups, those are all great groups who are doing very good work of protecting our religious freedoms. Right, because this one came off of the uh, ACLJ um, with the Jay Sucklow. Uh, they're another one. So, yeah, certainly didn't yeah. need to leave them out. They are, they're doing fantastic work. <laughs> Well, I think it's a good thing, and it, you know, it's an encouraging thing that there are so many good groups out there doing excellent work in this space, uh, because frankly, it's needed uh, right now more than ever. Oh, it is, it is. And there's so much more going on out there, but we've, we're down for our last few minutes here. And uh, is there anything special that you're working on that our audience should be aware of? So, you know, doing a lot on the rogue prosecutor movement right now, Annie, talking a lot about that. My colleague, Coley Simpson, and I, we should have a book coming out later this year talking about that, Ooh. talking about some of these prosecutors and their problematic policies. So please uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, been continuing to work on D.C. statehood. Uh, recently had a law review article published uh, outlining, again, why uh, D.C. should not be a state, uh, why the way the Democrats are trying to push that through simple legislation is constitutionally uh, problematic. And then also I've been talking a lot about the American Bar Association lately. The ABA is kind of the leading legal organization uh, for lawyers in America. They put out a lot of model codes, a lot of bills. They credit all of the law schools in the United States, and they've been pushing uh, – some very problematic policies lately. They've really bought into the woke ideology. Uh, they've been mandating quotas for certain uh, types of events and that sort of thing. And so I've been writing about that. One of my other colleagues is starting to write about that a little bit too. And I think it's really important uh, to push back against that uh, because, look, you know, lawyers are at the forefront of these many of these battles, religious liberty, free speech, uh, Second Amendment issues that we've been talking about. And so what the ABA doing is really pernicious, I think, uh, because they're trying to get the law students out of the gate and trying to essentially, you know, turn the tide and say that, you know, uh, this woke ideology should prevail uh, above everything else. 
Well, Zach, as soon as the book comes out, or even before it comes out, get me a copy so that we can get you on before the release date to help pump it. We will do it for sure. Thank you so much for having me on, Annie. I've really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you, and God bless. All right, check out Thanks, Zach, Smith at, Zach Smith at org. He's got great articles up there. That's it for the show here for today, Curtis, but I want to let people know yeah. what is coming up. so fast. We're booked, yeah, we're, we're getting booked solid. Uh, next week, we've got Kat Kamak. She was supposed to be in on last, no, today. She was supposed to be on originally today. But last minute, there is a vote going on the floor of the House. So when she was supposed to be on here, she was boarding an airplane to go back yeah. to D.C. But she will be and here. I, got to, I have dinner with well, her tomorrow we got, night. So I'll oh, nice. rib her about the day. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Don't worry. She's a sweetheart. Um, Tony uh, Sabatini, who's running for Congress out of Florida, he will be here. And if anyone watches Newsmax, there's one host on there who's really excellent, uh, Joe Pinion. Joe Pinion, a host of Newsmax, is a New Yorker. He is running against Senator Schumann. He threw his hat in the ring uh, just the, uh, last week, I believe it was, and he will be here. He will be here on the show running against uh, Chuck Schumer. And then the following week... Um, we have an author who has a new book out called F Off Chloe. Uh, he was someone that worked in the media industry uh, doing promotions. His name is Jer- Jeremy Murphy. He has got a wit, like, is so sarcastic. Uh, and he is going after lamestream media left and right. We'll have him on. Mark Tapscott will be back. Well, he missed this week. He's missing next week. He'll be back in two weeks. And then the following week, no, actually in March, March 4th, Kathy Barnett will be joining us again. So we're already booking up all the way into March already, Curtis. So we're rocking and rolling here. And if I remember to put the disc in the computer, I can get the video running properly. Mm -hmm. So I apologize to people over on Facebook and YouTube. I screwed up. This time it was not (laughs) the Internet. It was not blog talk. It was not anyone else. I messed up. My bad. With that, I will leave you with a song from my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. I want to thank everyone that was listening in, and I say good night, God bless, and see you next Friday.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.